Welcome to Sin City with Nick Meneses and Dane McLean. Live chat about everything cinema, from new releases, iconic films, and plenty more for you movie lovers. Live for CMRU.ca. And now, to the men behind the mic. are you we're back here with sin city i am one of your hosts nick manessis and i am another one of your hosts dan mcclain thank you guys for being here you guys i'm so excited yes you're we're gonna be talking about the oscar nominated films mm-hmm. 2021 oh yeah and the very best of 2020 cinema and we have quite yeah. the ensemble here from the left corner, we've got Benjamin Goodman, Jonathan Coe, also known by his stage name, John Swan, and Joseph Tominski. Hello, everybody. How do you do? Very good. It's good to hear. Good to hear. It's crazy how time flies by. Huh? Like 40 episodes already. It's just wow. Just wow. But no, I guess... We still got to do a lot more to be the longest running show on CMRU.ca, a title already claimed by DMURBF, if I'm correct. Is it? I don't know. I think we might be close. <laughs> with, two, with two hosts present, I think we might be. Two hosts there. present. I think. Thank you for inviting me. Anytime, man. I'd like to thank the Academy. (laughs) Speaking of which, now, we all know the story. 2020 was, well, a very bizarre year, to say the least. But that doesn't mean that we were left with with so many great movies. And with the Oscars only next week, it's time we get to the nominees for Best Picture. While 2020 was hard, we can all agree it had some great films with incredible acting, good storytelling, and complex thought-provoking themes from family to friendship to the world, hope and optimism all at once. So we'll get to them each. Here are the nominees for Best Picture. The Father, Philip Carcassonne, John Louis Livy, and David Parfit, producers. So, what did you guys think of The Father? You guys all watched it. The Father watched part of it. Yeah. That was today. We did, we did, we did. did. Let's get hyped to watch the movie it was about. It's like, it's like a man... Like, he's aging, and he's at the end of his life. Explain the plot. Well, I'm glad you asked. So, The Father stars the legendary Anthony Hopkins, playing a man who is suffering from dementia, who is aided by his daughter, played by the talented Olivia Colman, who's trying to help him get all the help he needs. This, well, like, when you think of Anthony Hopkins, you'll think him as the cannibalistic serial killer Hannibal Lecter. But watching him as a very vulnerable, aging man is, wow, it was quite different for me. For all of us, I'd have to say. Yeah. Love Olivia Coleman. I call her the British Meryl Streep. She never, she never can lose. 
for go get into what about best actor, he became uh, the oldest best actor nominee at which is beating Richard Farnsworth's record for the Street Story. Tremendous oh, movie. Really? Yeah, yeah, I guess Just Big Dave Lynch. Oh. That's true. Richard Farnsworth was 80, right? Yes. One? Yeah. Something like that. And yeah, and yeah, Anthony, I think. He's like 83, I think. Yeah, yeah. He beat his record. And uh, yeah. So you guys all like his father. Love it. Yes. Yeah, we did. It was the scariest horror movie of 2020. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd call it, um, I think I said earlier, it's, um, it's like a psychological drama, I'd call it. That's how I describe it. It's a very point of view, which I liked because I was like, um, I noticed how they were like, um, they they kept like changing the the roles of the actors to kind of go along with like the Alzheimer's. So I was like, oh, this is a uh, pretty interesting. It's true, yeah, and it also is worth mentioning that the the crew they really did a lot of research on dementia and Alzheimer's. Mm. This is a very realistic and accurate portrayal of of Alzheimer's and dementia. In fact, to further this point home, the director and pretty much all of the filmmakers they even like changed the setting of the apartment and repainted some of the you know the production design to give the impression that much like Anthony, the character, we are also suffering from dementia. It's really like we are stepping into his perspective, into his shoes. It's really that is master filmmaking, and I commend it, it for that. Yeah, it's honestly just like it. It's got like a Kubrick sense of detail to mm. it, where mm. like you don't really notice. Like if you think in The Shining, how everything's like perfectly symmetrical, except for like maybe one thing in the frame that just kind of gets your brain going. You don't notice it. This movie kind of does that throughout and just progresses it and like changes the sets even without mm. you even noticing mm. yeah locations without the notice without you noticing i kind of felt that too is the most subtle and some of the best i've ever seen mm. just because of how subtle it is great yes definitely it did feel like it was hard to map out the um, apartment like oh i recognize this room and now i don't know what room is beside it sort of like you said yeah like shiny almost that's a, a very good comparison mm -hmm. yes but i didn't even notice it until now that i think about it that's what's so good about it too once you think back yeah. about it it doesn't make sense and like i'm definitely gonna watch it a second time because mm. just and then trying trying to find where things are where they're playing with your brain because mm -hmm. that's like a film school education Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. The movie had yeah, some really good like editing too. I thought um, unique editing to kind of go along with um, the Alzheimer's thing, which I thought was pretty creative and cool. That's one thing I really liked about it. the editing was really cool. Yeah, definitely. And this was this was quite an experience as well with my mom because my mom she is a huge fan of anthony hopkins he's pro he's probably my mom's favorite actor and we both love olivia coleman from her performance as queen elizabeth in the crown so this oh, was right, right. this was like i knew that this film would endear to her and in fact the film succeeded so much that we both almost teared up throughout the whole film's runtime it's it's true 
it's quite it is quite a downer but any film that actually succeeds in making me feel something deserves my respect at most And of course, let's not forget that no, no more than 30 years ago, Anthony Hopkins won his very first Oscar in The Silence of the Lambs, his first and only Oscar. This might be, so maybe second time's the charm. He might get, this might be probably his, well, his big game, I'd say. Yeah, not to mention- He does have some really good competition though. Mm, that's true. Like, Mm-hmm. We'll get to it later, but the the race. Oh yeah. Honestly, pretty. Mm-hmm. Everything that's going against each other, for the most part, is deserves to be there. I'd say, for the most part, which is not, uh, or it, which is good, because sometimes it's like, oh, there's that one movie that's really good, and like three others that are. <laughs> but this year, for the most part, they're all just. Oh yeah, absolutely. And especially the performances. Absolutely. And even in the Met movies, there are some really good ones. It's true. Yeah, I agree with that definitely. Absolutely. But yeah, like yeah. this film is just wow. It's one emotional domino roll because usually when the, in most performances of Anthony Hopkins, he's usually a more a more author in a more authoritative positions, like someone who's in control. Like he even played. He even played Pope John Paul of all people in the two popes. Oh, right. <laughs> like wow. Yeah, you got that. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. Like this man, he's he's a genius. Like seriously, if the academy had any dignity left, I'm sure like I'm I'm I know there are many good options, but I feel mm-hmm. Hopkins, this has to be his moment to shine after having been nominated like about five times if I recall. And this this role for him too was like it's such it was such like an emotional like um heartbreaking performance. You can really like resonate with the character, especially like um like the ending of the movie, like damn that actually like that actually broke me. I was like, wow, like I guess that's kinda just like how it is with this disease and like um yeah, that's some really good acting, definitely I thought. That's what I was thinking to myself. And in terms of you relating, uh, I believe both you and Dane both said it reminded Matthew Hopkins of character writer was it your grandfather's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a little bit of experience with uh, my great-grandfather who passed away um, two years ago who he had um, Alzheimer's at the end of his, of his life. So it's, it's, really, it's really difficult to just imagine what people go through when they suffer from it. And... Um, also, the the album by the caretaker, um, mm-hmm. uh, musical artist. I, I get his full name, but um, this came out probably two years ago. Uh, James Kirby, he's an English electronic musician. He made an album two years ago, "Everywhere at the End of Time," which is basically uh, a six-hour journey into what it might sort of as close as possible the experience of the progression of the disease in in music through ambient music and sort of samples of old ballroom music and that album i would say is like a very like music like a, like a close musical comparison to this film um mm-hmm. like they're made for each other this movie and this album as far as the, the feeling you get watching it and listening to it so something you should look into if you enjoy the movie for sure a companion piece 
piece, you might say. Definitely. <laughs> Except companion piece, definitely. It's, it's much longer. The, the album's much longer, but you could you could you could watch it and listen to it at the same time. I think it'd be interesting. Because mm-hmm. they're both like uh, like Dane was saying, they're both very like point of view. Kind of shows you like. Um, it really puts you in your in a, um in the shoes of the person going through Alzheimer's, so like the confusion and stuff, which I thought was it's a very like interesting like um listen and also like uh, with the movie it's like a very interesting watch too. That's why I um I was saying earlier like I really like the editing in this movie because it really like um it's very point of view. I don't I'm not too sure if they if there's many other like Alzheimer's movies like that, but this is like the first I've seen. Here. Or it's definitely point of view with the Alzheimer's. Box list to look up Alzheimer's mm-hmm. movies. Yeah. Oh, they're yeah, they're probably they're yeah, probably here. Yeah. But just yeah. experience like uh like my grandfather, it's like it's definitely pretty accurate actually with like uh for getting like the names and stuff and getting like people confused. So they did a really good job in this um movie. Mm-hmm. Especially with the research. They did. Yeah, <clears throat> definitely. I, I can't I can't really uh, I can't really think of another dementia uh, or Alzheimer uh, thematic movie like I don't I, I can't really think of one yeah so this mm-hmm. was really interesting because it, it feels like it should there should be others but I just I can't honestly recall any others yeah it's, so maybe there's this topic that maybe needs to explore finally right definitely it's yeah. kind of similar to a more Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. But and it, it, but it's not the same. <laughs> like it's not the same really, but it's yeah, it's got a similar similar themes. Well, I mean, there's a lot of films, I guess, with memory loss is like like part of it. But I mean, I, I, mean, I don't think I'd compare it to Memento. Yeah, that's no, what I, I was thinking oh, too. because of the editing, right, but right. No. yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, not quite right, like. Yeah, not quite. Different tone, different tone. Mm-hmm. You, you yeah, could yeah. do some mental gymnastics and <laughs> compare them, but... It's true. Mm-hmm. Very different moods. And yeah, really... the, the, the mental's like the party night mood. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like the yeah. party. Yeah. And really good respect as well to the you know filmmakers for treating this serious issue just as it is a serious issue without you know talking down to its audience or anyone who might have experienced this same condition. So really it's really good work. It's it's a this is a very this is not a very you know pleasant or happy viewing experience that, that's for sure but the acting, the storytelling, not to mention the direction, and the fact that it was also based on a play. This really, right. this really is one of the year's best, and I can't believe I missed it. So, early, so, yeah. Yeah. Big ups. Mm-hmm. Big ups. Thank, thank you, Ben Goodman, for um, recommending that one. To- yeah. Yes. All good. Salute, Don Goodman. And now. I think four of us watched it today, right? Yeah, at the same <laughs> time. At the same time. <laughs> nice. We didn't even plan it, we just... That was amazing. Wow. No, you, oh, you, yeah. said you have father, you have a father and another mother. Let's, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the, our, the, our next nominee for Best Picture is one that is quite... Not quite, not even that. It's very revolutionary. Judas and the Black Messiah, Ryan Coogler, Charles D. King, and Shaka King, producers. Wow, this 
oh, I this I had the early chance of what I had cl- the close opportunity of watching this film when it came out on HBO Max, but it got removed. And think, oh. thanks to you, Ben Fett, for fi- for showing this film in the drive. Man, this film is wow. It's it's prob it's probably the only film that came out this year that actually made it into the Oscars. And by God, this was quite an amazing experience and a relevant one as well given how it tackles basically very hardcore and you know dark topics from police brutality to racial inequality and protests like this is quite a harrowing viewing experience i'd say um your guys thoughts before you guys have thought i just want to give a big shout out to lucas brothers who are great stand comedians who are credited for the story by credit. Um, they had a great Fox show called Lucas Brothers Moving Company. They're both big Bret Hart fans. That's beside the point. They're twin brothers. They turned 22 Jump Street as well. Anyway, oh, okay. it was their point. They pitched this. this they've been wanting to make the Fred Hampton story forever. And this, they made it through. And I believe it is only for one of the screenplay nominations, right? Just a what was that? So, so, yeah, and I'm just always, I'm always a big fan of comedians, like, getting their, getting their respect and stuff. They're just, yeah, so, happy for Lucas Brothers, you know, it's just, they no, I mean, the reason the movie's getting made, they didn't physically write the thing. They're great. Movie. Yes, they are. Like, wow, Daniel, Daniel Kaluuya, is that how you pronounce his name, by the way? Uh, Daniel, right, thank you, uh, Daniel Kaluuya, wow, he is right from his performance in Get Out to Black Panther, he's shaping up to be one of the best actors of our generation, he really did a great job playing Fred Hampton, I'd say, and it's, it's funny when you realize that, you know, he, Fred Hampton was 21 years old at the time of his death, and, you know, at, there were some doubts that he could pull it off, you know, given how he was about 10 years older than his character, but he pulled it off to precise and complete perfection. He killed it in this role. It's like, yeah, it's definitely a, a really great cast, too, with uh, Jesse Plemons as well mm-hmm. from uh, Breaking Bad. I thought he did really good, and um, uh, like he. Um, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. Um, Blake Keith Stanfield, is that how you say it? You got it. He's a really versatile actor too, from uh, like Uncut Gems and uh, also Get Out. Um, yeah. Yeah, really good, really good casting in this movie too. I thought. Yeah, this one was really interesting. Um, it left me a little cold. Like, first of all, I I did love it. It left mm-hmm. me a little cold in that I felt like I didn't know much more about the Black Panthers after watching it than I did after watching Forrest Gump, where it just oh, okay. it, it it's really good with the characters and really good with the ideas, but it doesn't doesn't give you the or it didn't give, for me it didn't give me the setting in a way that developed per se. It was just kind of like there's like I didn't know who the crowns were. Mm. I could I could guess but I didn't know what their whole operation was, stuff like stuff like that. It mm. wasn't a bother. Um, but, yeah, no, it was really great performances, too, especially from Daniel Kaluuya. Mm-hmm. He was it's also very hard to talk, speaking of, like, uh, like Malcolm X, the movie, which he, he's kind of seen. Oh, 
So it's like that is like it's like making a mob movie, and it's like The Godfather. But like that's always going to be like that's like the topic. Like, it's just incredible. Yeah. But filmmakers are going to achieve and like different different stories and stuff. But yeah, that's just. Yeah, and and overall, overall, while this is, or some may say this is a Fred Hampton movie, it's more, it's more we see it from the perspective of the, the Judas, like the traitor, like. I love how they really portrayed it. Like, you'd think that he, this Judas was going to be a total slime ball, but no, they really, like, he does, he, well, yeah, well, he is indeed a traitor and all that. He does have his reasons. They really did a good job of humanizing the character without, Absolutely. you know, without putting in too much on Fred Hampton's favor. It's very, makes for a very complex story, a very complex narrative, I'd have to say. Yeah, and they, they did a good job of making sure that Hoover was the guy we were all going mm-hmm. no at yeah. rather than Martin Sheen yeah Martin Sheen was great too Martin Sheen was great I haven't seen him in a long time Top Sheen Top Sheen Top Sheen best performance since uh, whatever he was in last because he's always good yes and, and yeah like it was really kind of surreal seeing Jesse Plemons in a more in a more, you know, nice, a more nicer character, given yeah. how he is best known for playing a neo-Nazi psycho in Breaking Bad. Just wow. Oh, Jesse Plemons is tremendous. We're gonna talk Jesse about Plemons. him later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jesse Plemons. He's, is, he's, he's, there was a New York Times magazine story last year, which I don't, I don't think it's. He is this generation's Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's just mm. the greatest. Just well, especially when I fucking Anderson, go nuts yeah. for PSH, as people know, and so <laughs> fun is this. Right, right. When they were next to each other, uh, when mm-hmm. P.T. Anderson was like, you yes. know, we need to hang out together, it's these two. And when they're together, I was like, oh my god, they're the same dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I've been I was a big fan of the show Friday Night Lights. Like I know you're the break. Like he was, he was very good at that. Oh. Uh, give that one a look for for sure in the future as well, especially with yeah, our with our PTA episode coming sometime this year as well. So, and also, well, I bet there are some doubts saying that you know Judas and the Black Messiah may have you know a bit of uh, a thin chance of winning Best Picture since it came out a bit too soon, like about a month before the two months before the Academy. But then again, remember Silence of the Lambs came out exactly two years before the Academy rolled over, and we all know how that turned out. And it won Best Picture, so I'd say Judas and the Black Messiah has, you know, a chance given and given how it's very relevant in today's, you know, m- more divided culture and world. Yeah, I think it's also just a great snapshot. You're just saying about Dane Kluge and Deadfield, who are like two rising actors, and like I know they were get out together, but this is like another snapshot of them, like. Of you know, they're going to keep making movies together, and it's like a, it's a great partner to, you know, to continue the collaboration. Uh-huh. We can come back 10, 20 years from now, hopefully make movies together, get more of the filmography. So it's just a nice, great snapshot of them. Definitely, definitely. Um, and shout out to that epic scene where he says, "I am a revolutionary." Like I, ha- I had to, I had to replay that scene three times because it was really that epic. I just like the chills, the chills, such char- so much charisma, all in just one scene. Just wow, this is. Mm, he really like 
when you look at Daniel Kaluuya, he really, like, he really has the charm to make us believe that he is the leader of a r group of people who are fighting back against injustice in their own town. It's just really great stuff. This is one of my one of my two selections that I want to win the best picture. The other we'll get to soon. Until then, next up for our nominee, it's gonna be the elephant in the room, or should I say the one that has the most nominations ever. You know which one I'm talking about, Ben. Mank, Sean Chagin, Eric Roth, and Douglas Urbanski producers. Well, on to you, Ben, since you keep bringing it up Manx time and time again. It should be oh, the flagship. Yeah, the movie rips. <laughs> Very eloquent. I mean, Jesse, he's been trying to make this thing forever, David Fincher. Is, um, his father, Jack, was a journalist in Life magazine, which loves some Zodiac, the San Francisco journalist stuff. The reason why that's so evocative is that comes from his childhood. And so, oh, he's always trying to do that. But uh, once, he once Jack Finch retired, as a journalist, David, who was just a hot shot, used to be a director at the time, who was doing like, uh, great Madonna videos, great George Michael Freedom 90 video, incredible music video director, David yes. Um, What was I saying? So, yeah, like he was saying, like, oh, you should write a screenplay. And I guess he was always, as a kid, was in, Jack Fetcher was interested in, like, the authorship of Citizen Kane as a story. Like, and just always very, I think Pauline Kale was the person who brought it to at the time and it, he was very interested in it. you should write a movie about that dad which that's a, that's what a, what a thing and so he did it like in the 90s wrote it and, Je and David was been trying to make it forever there was in the late 90s he almost made it with Kevin Spacey which thank god that didn't happen but the reason why they didn't make it the studios is they didn't want because he was always adamant it has to be black and white asking black and white no studio would make it for black and white Mm -hmm. And so it's just like this script in his drawer as he made like 20 years go by, making other things. It just, he wanted to make it one day. And then finally, since he's had the relationship with Netflix, he was doing um, Mindhunter, like Mindhunter. He was doing two seasons of that. And he's, he was got burned down from doing that. And just and he was like, oh, rather than do a third season of Mindhunter, like I, I have this script I've been wanting to make forever. And like Netflix is like, okay, maybe no, I mean, can it be black and white? Sure. And then he did it. And then, his old pal Gary Oldman and um, he's always been tough Gary Oldman and um, Douglas Urbanski speaking of you mentioned it that's Gary Oldman's manager oh he is in um, he is in the social network as the heart the president of Harvard and that mm. was like that was oh. his idea like he because Douglas Urbanski always held court and things and he's just like it's a great one scene in the social network and that's that's Douglas Urbanski Anyway, again, that's when you're old and go back. And yeah, May. That's its back better than I guess. Mm. You can talk more about May. Like, I've rewatched this film this week, and it's much better on rewatch. Like, first, where do we even begin? Let's start with the production design. Like, holy, holy shit. Like, the, the production design. It's, it really feels like Hollywood back in the 30s. It really takes you back into that time period, you know, where, where all the, the Hollywood, the logos, the, all the sets. It's wow it really I had a bit of I've seen some of these 30s films back when I was in my childhood as a teenager and I had a feeling of nostalgia as just watching it all unfold oh absolutely yeah, it, it, kinda... it 
is so he's such a stickler for the authenticity. It was often, authenticity is for me to say, and just it's not just the black and white, but like there's like the real change, like effects, like on the thing, and it's just it's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I kind of grew up on movies from movies like the Universal Monster stuff, and uh-huh. I saw Citizen Kane, Casablanca, all that really young. And I rewatched Citizen Kane before watching it, and it's it's not Citizen Kane, but it's structured also very similarly. Um, and the cinematography is like ripped straight from that movie in a really cool way, mm-hmm. um, like yeah. the way that light they they played with light and like that uh, shot at the door when it's just completely blown out. And yeah, just silhouettes there, stuff like that. It was so cool to see that. And like you were saying, Ben, the cigarette burns on the top right yeah. for the real chain. Uh, yeah, that's right. I, I really noticed good that. detail. The, uh, the, sound, uh, the sound design and sound mix as well was yeah. um, almost exactly like if you made a movie in 1940, but it was made in 2020. Uh-huh. Like, it's just, it, it was so cool how it, it perfectly brought you back to that time. Mm-hmm. And it just sold it really well. You know, like, full method actor. Well known, like perfectionist films. Like he, he would, uh-huh. like, 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 it was like 80, 80, 90 takes the opening scene, social network and stuff. Like he does that. So he's bring, so he's doing perfection with everything. That's down to he wants to be authentic. I think he said something like that, the paraphrase with Bang, because he just wanted to be like, of course, he's always doing like his film archival stuff, like trying to bring movies back. For like a film preservation thing, he wanted Mank to be like one of those movies. Like Scorsese would have like a film preservation, like you know, like just pretend like it's one of those movies. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, and and to, to me, rewatching it, it feels it feels very much like a spiritual um, prequel to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Because if you think about it, they're both. Take take place during different time periods and are a critique of Hollywood. From Mang's perspective, Hollywood is basically one big lie. It's all uh-huh. very like you know how Warren um, MGM, the, the founder of MGM, is very sleazy and morally bankrupt, and. It's really, it also harkens back to the quote by the great Orson Welles, which I quote, I've always loved Hollywood, but I never felt that love was reciprocated. I feel that that's what Mank is all about, to basically show the, that side of Hollywood, you know, that, that, what real, that dark side. And I think David Fincher really nails that, especially since he's known for focusing on the dark side of us humans. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I'd buy that for a dollar. Yeah. What do you think, John, of May? Yeah, yeah um, just to add, like, um, I actually saw Mank and um, Citizen Kane, I think, a day apart because I actually haven't seen either. I can't remember which it was. I think I saw Citizen Kane first, or I think I saw Mank first. And then uh, I remember Ben, you're talking about um mank i was like word i should um check that out and then i saw i think i, I think actually yeah, i was mank and then i saw or yeah it was either one of the two but i kind of saw them like very recent beside each other succession, yeah in succession which i thought was Shut pretty up. cool 
And I thought, yeah, also the score is great to uh, Trent Reznor. Mm-hmm. From, from Nine Inch Nails. Electronic instruments. Everything's, yeah. But, like, it's kind of cool how the score this time is, like, different for, like, them. Yeah. Like, trying to uh, was really cool. And uh, as we were saying earlier, too, like, I just really love the cinematography and the, the fact that it went, like, um, let me say it. They went, like, full on, which is good. Because, um, kind of like The Lighthouse and uh, The Artist, like, you would actually, like, make it during that exact, like, um, make it look like that exact time and, like, actually, like, um, it, um, like use actual like film techniques and stuff to make it actually seem like it was like from that time period. And I like, I like movies like that because um, it really like just transports you back to like that era, mm-hmm. as opposed to if it was like shot in color. Yeah, and also shout out to the cinematographer who I forget his name, but because he often works with Jeff Conwell. Oh, okay. But in his TV era, Fincher worked with this guy who I'm sad I forget his name. Is that that was the guy who worked with on Mindhunter. He was a DP on Mindhunter. And just, that's just how beautiful that show is. Like, hey, we want to do the movie? And just, like, it just it feels out of a piece with his other work. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah, yeah. also the, uh, the, the grain filter or whatever that they used was perfectly done. The way that the grain and yeah. highlights versus low lights and everything, because it was shot digital, so they didn't have oh. actual um, yeah. like real grain there, and that was just okay. Was, I was, you can't really tell most of the mm-hmm. time if grain is added in later or real, and lots of people who say they do, they're they're lying. Mm. It's one of those ones where it was like, wait, I really can't tell. Yeah, because I thought it was, when I was looking at it, I thought it was, like, actually real. Yeah. Like, it, the grain. It's really, everything was, is so pristine. Mm-hmm. It's, and the, like, the mistakes or the... Yeah. And stuff are, is, is very obviously intentionally put there and done really, really just, just chef's kiss. Yeah. <laughs> And also, I believe she's on, I should know his Oscar nomination, but it was out to also the Man of Seafree. Mm-hmm. Right. This was she kind was. of her comeback after a bit. I mean, she was, I, I mean, I believe the last time I saw her was in Twin Peaks The Return. Yes. Yeah, I was just saying that. Right now, and then she yeah. kind of took a break from Hollywood. And now uh, she's in Mank. She was great. Mm-hmm. She's, she's come a long way, too, from uh, movies like Mama Mia and stuff. And um, she's really getting, like, better roles, too. That's more, cool. more versatile exactly roles, yeah. which I think is cool oh yeah and also big applause to Charles Dance as well as William Randolph Hearst like Charles Dance he oh, really right. he really knows how to play very formidable characters mm-hmm. look no further than his role in Game of Thrones the imita- and the imitation game like this oh, wow yeah. he like he really is a great antagonist for you know towards Mank like he is basically the inspiration the Charles Foster Kane version yeah. into this in Kane yeah and yeah, also yeah Lily Collins was also really great too mm-hmm. oh right right, right. I, I totally right, Lily her. Collins yeah and another special shout out to uh, um, Mr. Ludlow from Jurassic Park 2 as oh. Louis B. Mayer oh Arliss Howard 
Yeah, Arlo Sauer. <laughs> I never know his name. That. I just know him as that guy from Jurassic Park. <laughs> I love that. I have to rewatch Jurassic Park too. Sorry, that was, was that the one where uh, it's the one where it's like in Lost San Diego? World. Yeah, yeah, Lost World. You have to rewatch that. A lot of rain in that thing. Movie. <laughs> yeah, talk, movie. Talk rain. <laughs> I feel bad. I haven't seen the last two films, but I know um, Judas and the Black Messiah. It sounds really interesting how it's being compared to the uh, Departed, actually. Do you guys mm. think that's inaccurate? I, I don't want to go back to the story. I know that was like 20 minutes ago, but. <laughs> no, and, uh, well <laughs> and with Mank, I still have to watch that with uh, my mom because that's like the. Yes. That's, that's the tradition, right? It's Mank with mom. Mank with mom. That is Everyone, mom. Every... That was a big promo. Oh, so. You know, Day is coming up. It is. Promo blitz, man with mom on Mother's Day. Past mm-hmm. has happened. <laughs> well, well, yeah. But yeah. And I personally, I felt also Mank was a huge, like, very important lesson to also in the art that is screenplay. Because I say this as someone who aspires to be a screenwriter for film and just a visual storyteller in general. Because Mank fought tooth and nail to get the credit he deserved at a time where, you know, screenwriters were basically, you know, just overlooked and considered insignificant as opposed to big directors such as Orson Welles, for instance, but it's a very inspiring tale for, for me, and I say for all of us as aspiring visual storytellers, how the power of screenplay, because the way I see it, cinema is like, basically like a car, but what, and it's usually, the screenwriter is always the one doing the driving, he's the one navigating us into this oh. world that is cinema. Thank you. You mean kind of like the parable of the organ grinder's monkey? Aha! That's right. Make was great. Make with me. Make, make, make great. Oh yeah, and, 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 yeah, and Gary Oldman. We haven't even, we haven't even talked about Gary Oldman. Like he's like Gary the star Oldman. of the show. Like he really, he really not only does he look the part, he really captured the personality of Mank. You know how he's very brutally honest, strongly opinionated, and hedonistic as well. But, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the court yeah. gesture. Yes. <laughs> I've got a terrible hangover. Like, that was pretty good. <laughs> His hangovers looked real, real. Like, yeah. were they real? Possibly. I, I could, I'd buy that. Yeah. <laughs> I just love how, like, Gary Oldman, too, whatever role he, like, does, he really commits to it. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, oh, Sid Vicious, yeah. a Sid Vicious role. I think that was, like, one of his first roles. Oh, yeah. Sid Nancy. Sid mm-hmm. Nancy. I actually just saw a, um, just speaking of, um, Gary Oldman, I saw the movie that um, inspired him to become an actor. It was a Malcolm McDowell film. It was called, uh, called Long Ago Tomorrow. It's about um, him. He um, gets into like, um, I think it's like some sort of accident. Or no, it was like a disease thing. And it leaves him like impaired on a on a wheelchair. And that's like the movie that um, that inspired Gary Oldman to become an actor. There's a connection there with Gary Oldman. But yeah, it was a pretty good movie too. Good good um sad movie mm. 
It's a good, sad movie. <laughs> you can describe a lot of these Oscar movies. Good, sad movies. That's right. Good, yeah. sad movie. But yeah, like Gary Oldman, he really, yeah, he's a versatile actor for sure. No doubt about that. The guy even played Winston Churchill, for God's sake. Right, right, right. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Really? Uh, yeah, Fifth Element. All right. Oh, man. Was Big Sure Romance? Or am I, was that somebody else? Uh, or am I full of sh- I'm maybe I'm wrong. I know he's in Leon the Professional, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, All right. Bring me everyone. Was he in which one, sorry? Uh, the Professional? Yeah, yeah, he was in there. With the oh, was he in Big Romance? Am I blanking on that? I will find out from here. <laughs> I got, I'm sorry, I'm using you as my IMDb, but I could just... But yeah, shout out Gary Oldman. He's incredible. Um, He's really aged into a proper old man. <laughs> he was in True Rom- Romance. He had, yes, the, uh, ah. he had the dreads, kind of. like. That's all. what I'm saying. Well, that's right. Yeah. Because I had the, just with the Chet Hayes, Chet Hayes stuff. I was like doing like the dreadlock performances. Like, Probably can't see my phone. Yeah, you can't really see it, but like, yeah, but. Tangent. For some reason, I had him as the Christopher Walken character. Oh. Oh, yeah. You know, Incredible. sometimes my brain flips them. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. You know who else is in Druids? James Gandolfini. Who he is? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, damn, I gotta rewatch that. Oh, I saw it because uh, I saw that right Brad Pitt is a top stoner on the couch the whole time. I think Floyd the stoner or something. Like, what day is it, guys? That's where Franco for Pineapple Express would be inspiration for Pineapple Express. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So that's like day two. Nick, we're, we're back in 2021. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No worries, Nick. No worries, And of course, let's let's give special mention as well, of course, Gary Oldman as he, Commissioner Gordon in Christopher Nolan's Batman yes. trilogy. And oh, yeah. of course, Sirius Black in Harry Potter. Like, this right. guy, has to, he has it all. He's played good characters, evil characters, and even characters who are, well, all in between. Just, wow. Tenfold, small movies, he does it all. Mm-hmm. That's right. Of course, we could forget the line. Bring me everyone. Everyone. That's a promo on DVD. But yeah, I really, I really did love Mag. It was a really good. Um, I really love Mag for the, the cinematography. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. To me, very. Yeah. I see. I it really really good choice that to be nominated for best picture. I feel like it has it really has a lot of potential for sure. There's a reason it had the most nominations for this year's Academy. Miss Fincher's craft is like second to none. Like his movies, you could you could uh-huh. eat your dinner off his movies or mm-hmm. pristine. Oh yeah, pristine. Yes, and it really gave me. It's like more of. It gave me vibes to his one of Fincher's best works, The Social Network. You know how it's basically the story of someone of high reverence and how it skips timelines from the past to the present, mm-hmm. different perspectives. Yeah. Really well done. Yeah, just wow. And they're both like really like kind of like sad stories too. Like people like got hurt and stuff, friendships got broken and stuff like mm-hmm. that. That's right, really yeah. portrayed well. That's right, yeah, like, and that, that actually, that's the part that shocked me, you know, I, I thought that, you know, Citizen Kane, the greatest film of all time, was made by a collaboration between Mank and Orson Welles. I thought they'd, you know, be best of friends, but Mank really proved me wrong. Oh yeah, it was an interesting <laughs> process. Mank it up. Mank it up. Such a 
be a term for like Hang it up, Maggie. Up. <laughs> right. up next. Up, up next is the only film I haven't watched, but I'm, I bet that you and John, you, Dane and John have. Next up, we have Minari, Christina O, oh, producer. Take it away, Dane. What did you guys think of Minari? Yeah, so I just watched that an hour ago, literally right before this started. So that's perfect. Um, yeah, as soon as I saw the trailer for it, I think in January or in February, I knew that it would probably be my favorite. And I think I did a list right after my three viewings today, and it, it stands as I think it is the, the favorite of the three I watched today. Um, and I think, dog. Yeah, I think I think it's um, it's a beautiful film. Like I've, I've never really seen anything I could compare it to, but I feel like it's one of those stories that I feel like. Um, I don't know. I guess I could almost relate it to maybe, I don't know, maybe Roma, like the same sort of feeling I got from it. Not, I don't see like a lot of comparisons with like the style or the tone or anything, but maybe the, the feeling I got from it, how it's, um, you know, people that are doing work that you don't necessarily see or goes underappreciated in the world, but they're sort of the backbones of society and um, they're heroes in their own right. So it's um, just a beautiful film. Mm-hmm. Um, and one that uh, I could see inspiring lots of other stories. Um, the the um, struggle that many immigrants have to go through in uh, any part of the world, but I feel like it would be a film that influences a lot of us to come this decade. Mm-hmm. Cute kid, right? Cute kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, can you, um, by the way, that reminds me, um, Dane, could you give me a bit of a, you know, what's the basic summary of Minari? Hmm, uh, some, that's, that's uh, hard to summarize, but there's essentially a family that comes to, uh, I think it's like the South, right, like Arkansas or something, and, uh, yeah, <laughs> and they um, essentially become, I think, chicken farmers. Uh, and they live in, they live on like a house on wheels, basically like this long. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, trailer. It is Arkansas, trailer? by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's essentially just about them trying to integrate into this the community and mm-hmm. the the racism they face. But that's not a huge part of it. That's a subtle part of it. But mostly just about the interpersonal relationships um, with the older generation. The grandma also comes mm-hmm. from Korea. Uh, a little bit into the film and uh, just about like finding your place in a new uh, culture and uh, the difficulty of doing that I think it was it was done so well yeah and, is it? oh sorry you can go oh no no oh no you go ahead Jeff. I was just like adding to like um, I was just saying like finding your place like it's a good representation of like Im- immigrants coming to America and finding the like um, the American dream because it takes place like in the 80s and um the father um shout out steven uh yoon by the way from he's come a long way from walking dead he's actually doing really great movies like also um burning is also really good too that's another good he, he walked away movie. from that dead and now his career's alive <laughs> and now his career is alive but uh yeah like the dad really has like uh that belief in that american dream and like um the mom is sort of like She's not really like kind of into it because they used to live in California previously. So 
it's kind of like almost like the the movie is really like um kind of like trusting your fam. I don't know how to say it probably like trusting your family is one. It's like there's like really like strong themes of like family of like how a family has to like kind of like work together and like it's like the the kind of just like believing like all together like everyone has to like have their like feet in for like that whole like dream to work otherwise like the relationship can be unbalanced hmm a very hopeful optimistic message very hopeful yeah so and apparently correct I built so Minari would have to be the only uh, international or non-English film to make it in this year's nominees yeah uh, best picture yeah not surprised given this film's critical acclaim given how it's made it's produced by A24 and they have had a great track record in the last few years especially the past decade as well sadly and I'm sorry to bring this up Ben but it was it overshadowed another A24 film about the American dream that got snubbed first cow yes oh uh, sounds great uh, yeah uh-huh We'll get to that eventually, of course, don't worry. But that's what I, I'm just going to hate, that's what I love about A24, it's they're like really unique, um, like stories, mm-hmm. and they're very like specific to like ones like The Lighthouse, and there's like Uncut Gems, like they're very different, but they're like made like really like super well, and like the director's like vision is like, like fully there, which is like, shout out A24, that's like the future of cinema. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, they Definitely. really care. They, yeah, they really care. Yeah, it's like it, like A24 and Elijah Wood with Spectre Vision. Those are some really great companies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Spectre Vision is really good. Thank you, A24. So, yeah, they work together all the time. But... Not to confuse with Spectre. They did not care when they made that movie. No, they did not. <laughs> oh, no, they didn't. And neither did Daniel Craig, apparently. No, God bless Dan Craig. Oh, what a great man. When's the night? Like, no. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 
The Radiohead snub, I'll never, I'll never forgive that either. Yeah. Oh. I never knew. Really should have Unbelievable. Wow. I never knew you did. Go, go check out Minari Drake. Yeah. Thank you, oh, thank yeah. you, A24. Mm -hmm. I'll, give it a, I'll give it a look, of course, this week in anticipation for the actual Oscars as well. So thanks for the record. Yeah, yeah I would, not to, I don't want to, if you were going to carry on, but I just wanted to say, um, yeah, Brad Pitt, uh, executive producer, he's done a lot of, a lot of great stuff. Yeah, I was really surprised when I saw it, actually. But, yeah, um, he is, he, he's a great he did uh, Bruce 12 Years of Slave, which is what best Yeah, in some ways I almost felt like this, this was like a more stripped down, almost tree of life in some sense. Like there was wow. the similar right. feelings that I got from it as well, like um, mm -hmm. the tree of life is obviously there's like a lot more, um, going on in that film it's much longer too but uh yeah i feel like quite similar quite similar in a lot of ways yeah. and i mean brad pitt just happened to be in that as uh well he was also a producer of that film as well but yeah, yeah similar like yeah. rural america story yeah i want to shout out to uh the honest trailers for this year's oscars because i'll never be able to unhear it when they said when they were doing their minari section and uh Tell me when it gets familiar. There's the harsh dad, the worried mother, the uh -huh. really smart daughter, a rebellious son, a yeah. grandparent who's kind of wacky, mm -hmm. um, a religious neighbor. They all pack into a station wagon. It's The Simpsons. Except <laughs> 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 absolutely not. <laughs> oh. And also, uh, the, the, what's his name, uh, the person who played Paul, Will Patton, did a yeah. really good job yeah, acting awesome. in this movie. Oh, yeah. oh, wow. Really, yeah, I thought that was a really, like, good, um, because I think he was in Armageddon before, but this is a really good, like, yeah. standout role. That's my like, really Will Patton. Yeah. But, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend this. This is, like, this is actually a really good, um, I'd say this is an all ages movie. Anyone can watch it. Like it's like yeah. Yeah. watch it with the family. Like it's pretty. Um, I don't even know what the rating is. Maybe PG thirteen, but some. Um, yeah, it's good for like families and stuff. Good message. Yeah, and uh, story, David Lynch. Yeah, I think the the performance from the grandma Sunja. Um, I think the actress's name is Yunyang uh, Chung. She's. I think that was one of the best performances I've, I've seen in a long time. It was just, she, she's just so funny through the whole thing. It's incredible. Yeah, she, she was really awesome. The mountain water. Mountain Dew. I love Mountain Dew. <laughs> Shout out Mountain Dew. I love Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew in a Call of Duty game. Wow. You guys are staying. Yeah. Wait, Ben, did you see Minari? I have not. There's actually a scene where she and the grandson are watching wrestling. Like, oh, no, shit. Yeah, it's. It's pretty cool. I thought of yeah. I had a bad I, 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 was yeah. already, I was already gonna say it now. Doubly interesting. Yeah. I was like, oh Ben nah, but I've been good in wrestling. Yeah. That's great scene. Your guys' yeah, statements is making your guys' statements really making me interested to see what's next. I'll watch it as soon as we're done recording this episode or video. Yeah, right? it's um mm -hmm. great positive movie. Mm -hmm. Very simple story, just yeah. Nice. Which, brings, good. which 
Which brings me to the next nominee, which is a film that shows us the beauty of the world and the simplicities of life. Nomadland, Molly Asher, Dan Janvi, oh. Francis McDormand, Peter Spears, and Chloe Zhao, producers. Your guys' thoughts on Nomadland? Uh, can I start with Nomadland? I have, I have something to say about Nomadland. Yes, of course. Please. He's a real nomad man sitting in his nomad land, making all his nomad plans for nobody. Just anyway. Nomad land. Nice Ben, nice. Wow. Great um as I think uh uh poetic Poetic cinema. That's what we're talking about. Mm. That's right. <laughs> Joe's big Wow, just more like mm, this film is yes, this is just a beautiful film. Like every yeah. even when the even when there's no dialogue and there's no where the plot is taking a pause, just the shots, the beautiful shots from the mountains, the forests, the rivers, just drink it in. It's it's a it's amazing. One of the most beautifully shot films I've ever seen. And also a very, I really, what made Nomadland stand out to me is I really love the the hopeful message to live your life to the fullest and that there's always going to be a new chapter. It's always so many endless possibilities. Like this line of dialogue really resonated with me that there are no goodbyes. It's always, I'll see you down the road. Just very yeah. beautiful. That's what I was thinking too, like the... The overall message of the movie is great too, because um, it it deals with like people like escaping from like loss and stuff, and they're always like um, trying to like run away from stuff, maybe like to find something better. But like in reality, you can't really like escape all of your problems. You kind of just have to like, live life, sort of. But I feel like I, if like something bad happened, though, like I would definitely try to like escape. Um, like the main character trying to distract my mind, like do something else. It's a highly relatable film though, because um, just about like es- escapism. And like uh, when she was working at the um, the Amazon warehouse, that kind of reminded me of when I was like working at Superstore. It's kind of interesting because there's like this there's this um thing about like working in a really big place with lots of people, but you still kind of feel isolated. I don't know how to describe that. I don't know if there's like a word for that, but it's like, um, I wrote it down here. It's like, um, yeah, there's like a certain isolation about working in big places with, with lots of people. I don't know if there's a word for it though, but that's like the feeling I got when she was working at the, at the Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, it's one of those movies, it's just so, it's it's a very heavy film because it's almost mm. too real. Yeah. Because uh, the thing too that I thought was interesting is um, there's always the references to like the 2008 recession and everything, right? Mm-hmm. The film. And just the way the landscape was filmed and sort of the the characters in the movie, it just it felt like you were watching like it was like the modern the modern day Great Depression sort of like this the 1930s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the 1930s in the United States, how people literally did the same thing, right? They they 
were sort of nomadic and they had to move around from city to city or whatever to find work. And it just made you think, wow, we have, this is obviously based on some real events, I, I assume, and I, I know that's yeah. true, right? A documentary, right? Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. based on a documentary? Um, I mean, technically the, it is, because there's uh, only two actors in it. Everyone else is real people. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. Okay. Oh, wow. Like, um, the, I had no idea. Like, Swanky, uh, Linda, and Bob Wells, they were playing as oh, themselves. Wow. They were actual nomads. <laughs> Yeah. So, she was, no so Swanky was actually like sick then? No, there's there's <clears throat> parts that were made up. Oh, okay. Um, it's it's a, it's using real people who really do this stuff. Like most of them are playing themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I see, I see, I see. And there's just a narrative that's being thread through real stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's it's as close to being a documentary without being a documentary it's right it's hmm. almost in the in the Werner Herzog area yeah okay Real that's stuff. another thing I gotta rabbit hole I gotta get into uh-huh. so. yeah. yeah question because you know you've seen this movie you're talking about it. I know I want your expert opinion mm. you're an ex you love driving scenes you <laughs> love driving you're no so how would you rate Driving. Driving. There's great driving in this. Really great. I mean, most of the movie takes place in a vehicle for the most part, or outside of vehicles. Um, yeah, it was great. I I was really inspired by the sequencing of the natural landscapes. I feel like, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I mean, it's a movie that if you have if you have the vision and you're in the right place at the right time, like you. So, like you could, I'm not saying anyone could get close to this, but it's, it's something that's like, it, it's inspiring to go and shoot in natural landscapes mm-hmm. because it's yeah. so beautiful. And, mm-hmm. um, but, it, but it is such, it is still at the same time fairly um, similar to Minari. Like it's a, it's a simple uh, story, cool. but there's so much to it. Like it's so, there's so much human mm-hmm. character and so much um, just beauty to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and like the very like um like visual storytelling, like the mm-hmm. poetic cinema, like um mm-hmm. it wasn't like too uh, like the story was yeah poetic cinema, like there wasn't like too but there were plot stuff, but you can kind of like um identify the plot um like uh, for yourself just with like um the imagery and the cinematography going on, like um. She was always traveling to different places, and that kind of like told the story. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I feel like this one in Minari. Um, I feel like there's, it's almost like you can see sort of how a lot of um, like French films mm-hmm. and European films throughout like the 20th century. I feel like those, like so many of those films, would be in big influences on both. Uh, Definitely. Nomadland and uh, Minari. Yeah. Mostly dialogue. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. To me, this one felt like if Godard had and Antonioni went and hung out and made nostalgia with Tarkovsky. Oh, okay. Yeah. It, like thematically, kind of similar to nostalgia in a way, um, done totally differently and all that stuff, but. 
and and the way it plays with time as well. right right it's really like it'll stretch it or just compact it like that it's it's really interesting to watch mm-hmm. and despite being probably one of the slower ones or maybe even the slowest yeah to me held my attention more than yeah any of the other mm-hmm. ones that's what consistently like that's right yeah like oh God, i've never been more tired than after watching justice League. <laughs> <laughs> oh. it's funny it's funny chloe zhao her her next movie is the eternals this horrible <laughs> yeah, i'm like what i it, i would love if she did her slow shit <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. wait she's doing she's doing the mcu yeah, the, it's been filmed. It's come out. Wow. Okay, I'm excited, though, if, like, because I saw, like, I really liked what, um, did with, uh, this movie, so this might be an interesting MCU movie, then. Depends, though, on, like, on what the studio wants again, oh, though, but. But, yeah, that's, um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind of a, a leap. I mean, happy for Chloe. Um, and hopefully, with doing these big movies, you know, then it leads to her making more cool mm-hmm. shit afterwards. Hopefully, she uh, kind of have a lot of creative freedom with the MCU movie. Mm-hmm. We'll see, though. We'll see. It's like Barry Jenkins is doing Lion King 2. That's a bummer. Like, you know, like Moonlight is one of the best movies. Yeah. You can talk. He's doing Lion King 2. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's not it. That's legit. I still got to see the first, uh, the live, the first live action one, but no, you don't. That's a different topic. <laughs> Just <laughs> wait for the yourmoviesucks.org review of oh, Lion King 2018 or whatever it was. Just wait for that. Yeah. You'll have way more, uh, more fun. Oh man. Keep up that stupid, uh, you know, that motion thing. No offense, mm. John Favreau. But, you know, my <laughs> <laughs> Shout out John Favreau, uh, chef. He's cool. He's cool. Don't get me wrong. Craft Mandalorian. What he's done for the craft, totally different conversation. But with Mandalorian, what he did for the craft of making movies with that is pretty cool. Oh, absolutely. But but that's not this conversation. Pressing for Barry Jenkins and hopefully Chloe's out. Yeah. Hopefully, like the the her stamp she put on No Man Land's at least somewhat present. Yeah, that's what I'm excited for. It's just like director for hiring and been hired great people. It's just has to go through the horrible machine what is, what is this talking i'm sorry because if they could take their vision like that from nomadland into the mcu that'd be really cool. i would love that i would love that but then again i don't know it's like up to the studio we'll see we'll see though it's been filmed and that's it's been so filmed we'll it's been filmed off kumail's in it angelina jolie's in it wow. oh right 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 hmm. all right but yeah back to nomadland i really yeah, like nomadland. the um <laughs> The soundtrack is really great, I thought. Um, very, like, sad soundtrack. Almost kind of like, um... Almost kind of like... Um... I was gonna say kind of like... Dane, would you kind of say, like, kind of like... Maybe, like, Radiohead's, like... Like, their score stuff, like, kind of like... Almost kind of like Phantom Thread, almost. Like, yeah, like, that kind of stuff. Very, like, simple, but it's, like, very... Very, like, somber... Somber, somber music. I don't know genre. There, whatever they. Yeah, I, 
I think it's just because I watched three movies today. Like I, I don't recall the soundtrack. Oh, <laughs> the score. Like it's all kind of blended into one. I watched them like. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll listen. Up to his 2020 film output one day. Double. Oh, I saw like I saw like five movies today. But Same. Well, I, saw two. Two. <laughs> I saw eight movies today. Or um, seven. Sorry, not eight. Oh, I wanted to watch them freshly though before coming into the show because mm-hmm. I would kind of like forget a little bit. Yeah. Just so it's kind of like fresh in the mind a little bit because I, I watch a lot of like movies, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, definitely like the soundtrack it's very very moving very yeah. a bit melancholy i'd say but really but even when it really you let it, you just drink it in it really fits with the scenery it's just this is pure scenery porn is what i'd call nomad land for sure like oh, absolutely absolutely it has a lot in common with Terrence Malick as well, right? Yeah. The way it shot yeah. is very Terrence Malick, but a little less floaty and nice. It's more handheld or tripod only. Mm-hmm. No heavy narration, bro. No heavy narration. <laughs> no extreme wide angle lenses. Great, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But, and Francis McDormand. Oh yeah. Yeah. Great. I. I I, is it a lock? I think it might be a lock for me that she's going to win again this year. I, this I year really, third? Yeah. I is really it, think she won for Fargo, right? That's right, girl. Yes. Better have won. And then she did the billboards. Yeah. She won for billboards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this might be my favorite performance from her. Wow. wow. Uh, Personally, mine is the, the bird after eating. I was going to say, John, you made... <laughs> But this is this is pretty this is pretty great too. Also, Blood yeah. Simple. Shout out Blood Simple. Oh yeah, shout out Blood Simple. That's a great that's a great underrated neo noir. Um, Cohen Brothers, go check that out. Whoever's listening. Blood Simple. Throwing what the plug. Madland did for me with her performance and with everyone else's as well was mm-hmm. I wasn't necessarily thinking oh this is Frances McDormand. I thought it was oh this is <clears throat> Frances McDormand doing a documentary yeah or just like she's she's hanging out with people because i just know it's her from Mm -hmm. looking at her so i just thought of it as her but hanging out with people and also there's a camera Mm -hmm. is is how i felt with that and dave what's his name um i always forget his last name uh but he was in the born movies right the what's his name that that other older guy that uh that dropped the plates yeah, he he was really good too. He was really like, good too. Because they were the only actor actors mm-hmm. in it, and yeah. I love I love too how like in this movie like the um the characters she would meet they would kind of like tell like their like backstory and stuff like like you were saying like it was kind of cool how like um it was almost like a documentary about like Francis McDormand like meeting like other people. So it was like very authentic and cool. It's true. Um, yeah, it's, it's so, Francis McDormand does van life and runs into people. Yeah. <laughs> so she might win this year, but I'm gonna tell you a little preview. She might win again next year. Because do you know what she has filmed? She's got in the can. What? She's got the tragedy of Macbeth. Oh. Which is him. No. It's her and. 
Denzel Washington. They're wow. doing Macbeth. And you know who directed this MFR? Who? Joel Cohen. Just what? one Cohen. One oh. Cohen's doing it. Nice. <laughs> one Cohen. And of course, they're married in real life. Joel Cohen and Fresh Corbin. So, oh, yeah, so. that's her first thing I thought you were going to say. <laughs> I was wow. like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> This is probably my my favorite, like you know, Shakespearean play. Like, wow. Yeah. Really. Also, Brendan Gleeson's in it. It's King Duncan. Wow. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. Brendan Gleeson was in Bruges, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Harry yeah, Potter yeah, too. And Braveheart too, as well, if I recall. Right. Dumb Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Oh, that's also <laughs> got Corey Hawkins in it. Oh my goodness. Yeah, oh my goodness. I was wow. kind of thinking as soon as you said Macbeth, I was like. Well, this is either going to be really good or really terrible because oh, yeah. that's how the Shakespeare ones tend to go. Yeah. yeah. That's going to be good. It's crazy. It's Joel. Ethan's not even doing Baldur's Fury. Ethan's just took a break. Ethan's is that even out. Is that even allowed? Bro. Yeah, like, <laughs> I don't think that's allowed. That's like, that's a sin. It's like only one of the Daft Punk members. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It'll be interesting. Your Daft Punk. I don't know if you mentioned, I think you mentioned that's also an A24 production. It is? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind package. of... That's nothing to live for. I mean, there's a lot of things to live for. That's very, but another but thing that, to live that's for. That's pretty dope, though. <laughs> that's right. Like, that's, that's pretty cool. But, uh, uh, so, one of the Coen brothers, an all-star cast, and by A24, looks like we've got the full package. That's a full package. I don't <laughs> that's, know. That's it, yeah. Yeah. yeah like, if it sucks, I'm going to be so mad. It's not going to point at this point, though. I also love the choice of it being on black and white, too. Like, yeah. That's just, that's the first that's, time. Have they done? Yeah, no, no, it's the real black and white. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, no, fucking, um, uh, Mad Men was there. With, with Billy Bob. Oh, Billy yeah. Bob. That's black and white. Yeah, with Billy Bob. That's right. That's a good one. Sorry for cursing, man. I'm sorry. No worries. No, no worries, Ben. No worries, Ben. Uh, you can show as much as you like. Don Goodman, Ben Goodman always uh, gives us some good facts. Learned a lot from well, let's Ben get Goodman. Back Thank to you, Ben Goodman. Yes. Anytime. Let's go back, Nick. Take us yeah. to the Oscars. Here's hmm? Oscars. All right. All right. Yeah, that story. <laughs> so, yeah, like, like, of all the Best Picture nominees, Nomadland really, it really resonated with me because it's a very hopeful message, especially one that's about home and family, which tying back to our last conversation from the MCU, this line from, you know, from Thor Ragnarok spoke to me like, Asgard is not a place, it's a people. And I think that same logic applies to Nomadland because that's what home is. There's a difference between homeless and houseless because home is not always related to a place like a house or a building it's more th- about the people the, po- the people that you meet along the way the people that you love your friends your family that you make connections with this really this film really 
it really touched me, especially in these very difficult times, I'd say. We are living in one of the most difficult times in, since the dawn of man, since the Great Depression. And this was a film that came at the right time, I'd say. Yeah, yeah like, definitely. The thought that kept running through my head is imagine the setting of this film, but with the pandemic like, right. on top of it. It's just think about what people are going through right now in, in some parts of the world that are. Because I think this was filmed in 2019. Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah. Oh sorry. Yeah. I was saying I remember she was looking at the movie posters and it, she was looking at the Avengers Endgame poster. Yeah. I remember that. Like that's the, yeah. that's the thing that makes it resonate is because there's gonna be we're gonna get a. I'm gonna curse again. There's gonna be a shitload of directly COVID-inspired movies. Yeah. All of them are gonna stink. All of them are gonna be like two on the nose. And then oh, this yeah. is really like this is like the perfect movie of time. And because of it, it came. You know, it was all wrapped and done well before it was even a glimpse yeah. in anyone's eye. And that's mm-hmm. what made, that's why it was just it premiered in TIFF in like September. It's just like all like you know, it was all done and just that's but the yeah. timeliness of it. That's why. I think it's a good shot of winning Best Picture. And that's that, and which ties yeah. back to the other. This is the the sec the other second film I won to win Best Picture. I feel it deserves it. It has just everything: a really great director, a really good story with very hopeful and optimistic messages, which about you know finding nature, and it's all about. What another thing that spoke to me is about the simplicities of life, because sometimes yeah. less is more. Like in today's time, where some people can be a bit too materialistic and think more about the money or the the big shots, like all that. What matters is the simplicities of life, and I speak as a guy who just basically enjoys what's go- the simplicities of life. I just like you know I, I love watching movies, wa- walking out, going up, traveling a lot, and especially spending time with friends. And that that is enough. Like that is enough to ensure happiness, and that it shows that is what no man is about. That not everything is limited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like, yeah, as far as the, the characters, what they're, how they're enjoying their lives, it's relatable right now, as, as Ben was mentioning too, because mm-hmm. we, we're all sort of just um, living a simpler life than we were before 2020, and um, some of us are doing it, maybe we're handling it maybe better, some are handling it better than others, because it really comes down to enjoying being with yourself and uh, sort mm-hmm. of finding solace in the in nature and uh what's available to you and your in your surroundings so really almost almost too real for me like i felt like i was kind of a little bit too like, i like i like sad and dark movies i, I had a hard time sometimes with this one. like i felt like it was a little bit too, mm-hmm. too close to home just because it's yeah. so heavy oh, yeah. but i still loved it and uh, like the some of the things like the the Smiths reference at the beginning, I thought that was, mm-hmm. that was pretty interesting. <laughs> and also yeah. just great for representation. If you think of Minari, like it's a Korean Korean American director, and Chloe Zhao is a Chinese American director, and she I don't know if she might win best director as well, and certainly yeah, Harrison yeah, Lass, it just, yeah, it's really awesome. That's right. And also, shout out to Chloe Zhao as well, not just in directing this masterpiece, but for being the second woman and the first Asian woman to receive an Oscar nomination for Best Director. 
Yes. So, yes. This is I've I've never heard of Chloe Zhao before until Nomadland, and I say that with this world full of new filmmakers, I'd say I think we can all agree Chloe Zhao. She is just getting started. Definitely. Yeah. I I was so surprised um, like that she wasn't born in the U.S. Like she, I think she only mm-hmm. moved to the U.S. as a teenager or young adult. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But to tell a story that is so quintessentially American, but it's also universal. Um, but mm-hmm. so, uh, I was I was really I was really impressed by that. That was amazing. Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And great on, movies this year. Oh yeah. Great competition. Mm-hmm. And on to our next nominee. The Hills are alive with the sound of metal. <laughs> sound of metal with Bert Hamelnick and Sasha Ben Harosh producers. If I am sure of anything, I know that this film is go has it has to win for best sound. Like yeah. holy, holy shit, like wow. I mean sound is in the tail of the movie. That's just insulting. Mm-hmm. Beyond, obviously. It was like made for the purpose of winning best sound. <laughs> yeah. I love I mean, this it's, movie, it's, by it's the this way. this one or, or Mank. I think Mank has a shot. But it's... Uh, no, it's going to go to Sound of Metal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hoping to. Yeah, with Riz. Matt, shout out Riz. This is a great... This is a really good role. I was like... I was really moved by this role. I was like, wow. Like that scene where um when the um the girlfriend was leaving him, it really filled that emotion. I was like, wow. Some really great acting in this too and just kinda of being like a musician too, like losing your hearing mm-hmm. that would be like painful. That would be so yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah, John, that's why it like really hits home with you. Like, yeah. I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. You'd have to kinda of like give up your dream and stuff. And also shout out um the writers, um, Derek's uh, Science France. Sea of sure. France. Sea of France. I know how to say his name. Oops. Also wrote The Pines, too, and uh, Blue Valentine. Um, really good storytelling this movie has. It does, yeah. And also, really good props to the filmmakers because they. The, the, let's talk. The sound design is just incredible breathtaking and really helps to tell the story as well because in fun fact the the filmmakers they really did a lot of research on the pers- having the perspective of a per- of a, a person suffering from deafness we really feel it's not a, it's really realistic you know how it all fades away it's like we are in the position of Riz Ahmed or in his character Ruben and if you think about it, the sound of metal is basically a f- film that shows the five stages of grief on how he is coming to terms with his loss of hearing yeah Maybe with a hint of Beyond the Pines. Mm. Beyond the Pines. 
That's interesting. I just say it's just the hair that reminded me of Brian uh, <laughs> Johnson. But it's also Derek, uh, too, so I'm not sure. Yeah. All right. That sounds amazing. I've loved him since Four Lions, and he's mostly, like, I was just like, he was in, yeah. I forgot he was in The Night Of, which was great HBO. Mm-hmm. And Rogue One too. And on oh, Nightcrawler. Oh, right. Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. Mm-hmm. Nightcrawler. Yeah. And the first time I saw him was a Nightcrawler, so he's think, come a long way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like he also makes he also makes music too. He um I haven't heard mm-hmm. his music. I think it's like political rap, um hip hop too. So he is a musician too, which is was pretty cool. Oh, oh yeah, that yeah, yeah that wasn't Venom. That movie was okay. Venom. Um, <laughs> Venom. <laughs> right. Venom two coming. But he made Sound of Metal after. And he started mm-hmm. Very, like, and yeah, yeah, Dance Yeah, like it's basically similar like story to the father, with of course difference in disabilities. One being physical, the other being mental. But it's more about these characters facing these obstacles and having to learn to you know accept the reality of yeah. it and not just accept it but to overcome because in one one line from sound of metal is that it's not about learning how to overcome this but this just mm-hmm. yeah that's a great line from the movie i was like wow well i mean yeah. not to spoil anything but the ending oh man mm. Like, the mm-hmm. ending is just way too good. Yeah, a really good ending. I was like, especially because it relates to what, um, not to spoil it for, um, you did, but like, cool. it really, he really, like, learns. <laughs> he really, was going to say, go for it. Yeah. But yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> he really learns, like, he's kind of like, it's like, wow. I'm just looking at some scenes from it. I, I love the the style and the cinematography of it. I think this will be one of my favorites. There's this one shot too where he's walking with, I think the school kids or the teacher, and it's it's just a very simple shot. It's like um, you guys remember it was like the fog, kind of. It was kind of like the foggy oh, yeah. like grassland. Mm-hmm. That was really cool. That kind of reminded me of like something in like Stalker or something, which I thought was. I was cool. just gonna say yeah, it's like the the scene with all the yeah. tanks. But there's a there's a lot of really good like simple cinematography um really good um simple shots in this movie of like nature oh yeah in this movie yeah it's it's really good in that it lets the direction kind of take a back seat and let the performance and the sound take the front seats um because you you, like you're not going to find anything that's just mind-bogglingly like insane camera moves anything like that mm-hmm. it's not giving you like a visual it's not like nomadland which mm-hmm. is purely visual this one is so much more audio yeah and performance performance just, the, the way they balanced it was really really well done mm-hmm. yes. great great costume design by the way too. He's, um he was wearing uh, some like uh there's a lot of the bands he's wearing there's like a lot of hardcore punk bands like that which is a really good job on the costume design and um authenticity and olivia cook's eyebrows yeah really good really good makeup <laughs> yeah and yeah like the, the Riz ahmed like he wow he this is 
I really, I always respect that performance when they make me like feel delve into the character's psyche and really feel that they are suffering. And Riz Ahmed, he really, wow, his performance was just. It was perfect. I, I have to say, like even even when he doesn't talk, which by the way, in most cases he can, you know, since he's deaf. He we really he really we can convey wh what he is feeling yeah. in the moment. Now that the, the sound of metal is really a fine example of visual storytelling. I say I think we today's audience we are v much smarter than that to see what's happening without everything being told to us in every scene. Uh -huh. Yeah. 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 This one was on my list today, but I didn't have enough time for it. But it would have been the next one I would have seen. But I, I feel so bad I can't say anything about it. But um, yeah, I mean, this will, I already know I love it. And I'll leave the later bonus sense um, because my, my dad's parents were both born deaf. So um, oh. be, yeah, my dad grew up uh, with sign language his whole life. So that's something that I'm looking forward to seeing. Shown in film and hopefully watch Make with Mom, Sound of Metal with Dad. But I mean, probably both with both. But no. I like that. <laughs> and also, the, there's not the same alliteration, but it's good to hear. Sound of, but not well. I'm sure Sound of Metal will endear to you, then, given how if, since you love both film and music, this is definitely yeah. a huge recommendation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, too, it's too trite to the father with the father. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's good. That's a good one. Oh, good one. Yeah, yeah. That that would have been that would have made sense though. But mm -hmm. oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a great movie though. Mm -hmm. Shout out Sound of Metal. Outstanding. Yeah. Really good character um study tragic mm -hmm. character stories. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And next is one that I guess we haven't seen called Promising Young Woman. We haven't seen it, so skip. So next up is... Did anyone see that one, by the way? Uh, no. I know I did. It's... Wait, Ben, didn't you say you had something to say It's just, I know. It deals with dicey subjects. It's like, oh, we're all okay. dudes. Mm. It's about the R word. And it's just, but it's a very, like, blase, like, very... So I guess this leaves us with the trial of the Chicago Seven, Stuart M. Besser, Mark Platt, producers. And man, this was really, this was really the year for Borat, or should I say, Sasha Baron Cohen? I see. Mm. Very nice. As Annie Hoffman, the legend. Mm. This film, it's. It has, it's a mix of everything. It's heartbreaking, it's heartwarming, and it's funny as hell. Especially whenever Sasha Baron Cohen is on screen. He really stole the show, just wow. Mm -hmm. yeah, him and the, the great Jeremy Strong. Uh, yeah. They're like a good double act. Good double act. Mm -hmm. Great cast, by the way, JGL, oh. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Mm. Mm. And Michael Keaton, I, too. Michael yes. Keaton, batman eight. Batman 89. Oh, who's the dude from Watchmen who was Dr. Manhattan? Just a slight spoiler. Sorry, I haven't seen the movie. Billy Crudup? Oh, yeah, Abdul. But I'm sorry oh, for watching the pronunciation. It's Bobby Seal. Bob. Uh, oh, uh, I'm It's Bobby Seal yeah, character. Uh, Yaya Abdul. -Mateen. There's also an us actor. Okay. Oh, okay. I got it. I got it. Mm hmm. Great cast, yeah, he was awesome. mm -hmm. 
and for a second i thought when you said dr manhattan i was like oh billy crudup and then i was like wait billy crudup is not in this movie <laughs> unless this... he wasn't i missed him and this was he might have been i mean this was a, i, I could always use some billy crudup now relating back to um finch uh david fincher baby. well finchy baby sorkin directed wrote it sorkin wrote social network that's another tie okay, that's right that's yeah tie. exactly that yeah, like really great direction from aaron sorkin he really this was only his second film in the director's chair after molly's oh, game but he he like, that's right like Mikey he Sarah. he really shines Jesus in his <laughs> He really shines in his screenwriting abilities. The guy wrote A Few Good Men, The Social Network. Like, his dialogue is very fast-paced. Oh, yeah, he's, he's, like he's kind of a pompous ass, but, like, he's, like, he, he's, got, he's got the skills to back it up. He does, yeah, very... And yeah, so, Mark Rylance? Oh, yeah. Oh, right, Mark and, and Frank Langella? Or Langella? Right. Yeah. He played Dracula, right? In the 70s, I think. Am I wrong? He played Bella Lugosi, didn't he? No, no. Who am I thinking of? Oh, okay. I know that it was like a Frank Langella, like, uh, Dracula movie from the 70s. I don't oh, he played Nixon. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, played played really good uh, antagonist. Frank oh, oh, yeah, the, the judge. Oh my god. Whenever judge. the trial scenes took place, the, the trial scenes were very stressful to watch because the judge stressful. the judge is a yeah. it's a complete dick. <laughs> well. And to your point, Nick, like Sorkin beyond just being a creature, you really don't feel good, man. Like he Sorkin's really the king of like the courtroom. Like all these like mm-hmm. but these social networks based on a deposition. That's right, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Lives this shit. Like, he does his bread exactly. Courtroom dramas. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I watched this film with my mom. I, I knew I had to. Like, she, my, my mom used to be a lawyer, and I could really use oh, the, oh, wow. the backup facts. So, yeah. Just nice. Yeah. And this film could is relevant as hell, I'd have to say, given the, you know, the whole government corruption, uh, police brutality, and riots and sedition happening all around the streets. It really, it really captured the the feel of how horrible those days were under the Nixon administration. And they've been trying to make this movie also forever. Like Spielberg was originally going to direct it, and I think he, it's like he kind of helped. And if I believe, and I might be wrong, but I don't think I am on this, is Sasha goes back to Spielberg's iteration of the movie, and that was Spielberg's choice for Abby Hoffman, was Sasha. Oh. Sasha's been kind of attached to this thing since, like, the 2000s, not even the 2010s, even before that, and so it just took forever. Oh, just, uh, development hell. Yeah, just all that stuff. Yeah, this one was really good. It kind of was, um, like, not to be too derivative, but like discount Sidney Lumet with really good dialogue. Oh, okay. Um, For sure. It was kind of, it was honestly my least favorite of all of them. Um, and that's only because it, to me, really good dialogue, really good performances well directed well edited good music 
but at the end of the day, it, if, if you're not already open to the ideas that it's giving you, it's, you're not, it's not going to change anyone's minds. So um, would you say that this movie's kind of, uh, like in the class, the wheel, you wheel the TV in, like high school class, and you, like, the movie's on? Kind of. That's a vibe I got for it's, a minute. It's a really good one, but, yeah. yeah. It's it's also it's very safe. Yeah, it's very in safe. In that it um it has ideas, they're good ideas, but it doesn't try to say much about them or go too deep into things. It's and sure it's just giving you an event. Um but it it is kind of like one of those wheel into the classroom, here watch this <laughs> movie about this thing. Answer the um, questions. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, wow. That said, it is really good. But it's that's awesome. also I remember the Titans twice, so I'm not that mad. I mean, that's a classic wheel of TV. Remember the Titans? Shout out to Kenzie. Oh, yeah. Like, Ryan Gosling's in that, too. Yeah, the Gauze. The Gauze is in that. The Gauze. Yeah. Gauze strip. You're looking uh, like Ding. I don't know Oh, sorry. What was that? Um, uh, I'm Ryan Gosling. Uh, you're look, you're look like Dane. <laughs> I, I wish. <laughs> Come on, that's not true. It's never it I can only, I can only dream. It is, man. And what? To those who watched um, Trial of Chicago Seven, did you get vibe? It felt to me like a spiritual successor to Judas and the Black Messiah. Like, in a way, it, we sh- it sees what's happening between those events. You know how, like, it, I was stunned to see, you know, Fred Hampton and the Black Panther Party. Like, this was, wow. It felt it all comes full circle. We saw what happened already in Judas and the Black Messiah, and now we see, like, the aftermath of that. It feels, yeah. wow. It's, wow, mind-boggling. They're, they're really good companion pieces. They yeah, they're really well because they're different enough, but they're also they have the same kind of energetic style that it doesn't feel like yeah. you're going from like going from Chicago Seven into Nomadland is totally different. Yeah. Um, but uh, Judas and Chicago Seven work really well together. Plus Similar style. They share a couple characters. They're in the same time period, same place, so. Great wardrobe design, by the way, on uh, and about trial. Uh, trials. You know, this is a very pedantic corner, but I found the score to be horrendous. Yes. Mm-hmm. The opening oh, scene okay. of the movie, it's like the score is like from Alan McBeal or like a 90s drama. It's just, really? It's like it's way, it's way, it's way too much. It's really cheap. Alan, Alan when I, yeah, when I said good music, um, the licensed music in it is good, oh. but the original score almost makes like they play it over the weirdest spots like you get cops beating people down to like a groovy drum beat and I'm right. like wait a second what this is supposed is to this? not be uh... yeah that kind of it, it did because some movies have the problem of the score manipulating kind of how you feel about a scene a little too much Mm-hmm. This one did like have the opposite problem where it, it yeah, certain scenes it was just like, uh oh, uh oh. <laughs> I didn't yeah. notice the score, I'll have to look out for that again. Yeah, watch the opening scene. Is that, yeah, Alvin McBeal, though, damn. It's like it, 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 it came from the network drama, like it's Sports Night West Wing, which people seem to like, and, right? Right, right. Yeah. I don't know, it seemed like. 
that's where he's like a real like a traditional dude sort of thing. That's what he's good. He's a great writer. Great dialogue especially. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, I can get into a Sorkin random times. Here, like, I like him, I like him, but you need and that's why it's social networks like you want to talk about Chef's Kiss. You've got like his cornball shit is to the side you got Mr. Sinister, Mr. David Fincher. Got a Sorkin script and it's just like all that I have a major tangent again. I'm told, you know what? There's a scene where there's a cappella group in the social network and it's just like it's this group and they're just doing a cappella. And it's like it's but then there's like a character in the scene like undercutting it, like, oh this is corny and all that. But you can tell like Sorkin loves a cappella like college singing. And so Fincher I, I, <laughs> Sorry to all acapellas <laughs> No problem like, like Yeah like I, I Yeah the soundtrack was uh, Iffy I have to say But I, te- I tended to overlook that for the sake of just being a pretty damn good movie, and I I, I mean that in every sense of the word, like a v- very relevant messages and really good message too about you know how ways and how we can always join join the fight against injustice and discrimination. Really good messages for all of us, especially in our even more divided times. And I haven't seen it yet, but it's on my list for this next week ahead. Yeah, I've watched one. So it's pretty, it's pretty good. I thought it was pretty, class, pretty good. So, are you bro? Uh, kind of. Tomorrow, I am. But yeah, I mean, I'll have, I'll have more time. Jay, not to do a mid-intervention here, but <laughs> I think you should take some study breaks and watch it. I think it'll be good for your head. You're really in the zone. <laughs> years of just studying. You gotta take a break. Like have a nice meal, and then you watch with your parents. Watch things with your parents. Yeah. Just with the family. Watch. This is a, yeah, this. This is a good meal movie. I thought. I think I was eating. <laughs> I think I was eating, uh, I was eating like I was eating like salad or pasta for this movie yesterday. It's, it's one of those Ooh. movies, you know. Turn. You had pizza when you watched Bank, right, John? Is that when you did so um, No, I actually didn't. Eat the Sophie's yet? It's here though. You have Sophie's? Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't eat it though because I didn't want to. I didn't want to leave the call. <laughs> My dad's very nice here, but I'll thank you, John. Take one for the. I'll eat it later. That's really nice of you, John. Thank you, John. Sophie. That should be the title of a film. Sophie's can wait. Sophie's can wait. Please sponsor us. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. A band name like Yolanda Be Cool. Ooh, <laughs> Yolanda be cool. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a good, it's a pretty good um, movie. Yeah, I really like Trial. Um, I also really like the wardrobe design. I thought it was pretty mm-hmm. cool. The wardrobe yeah. design is really, really good for the seventies and stuff. And speaking of wardrobe design, I shout out to that. My favorite scene, one that really stood out to me, is the one where Sasha was dressing up as the judge and he was saying yeah. reward and homage yeah. a few. He took it off to show, you know, the police uniforms. Well, wow, now that. <laughs> Anti-establishment, yeah. <laughs> well, just... I, lo- I love that double. Uh, the, here's the thing. Like, I know they're doing like the serious thing. It's all good. I just want a movie about Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin. The hippies, like Sasha and Jeremy Strong. That's a movie. Borat and Borat Bro, as you said, Dave. Borat. 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 Borat.
and and shout out to Jeremy Strong as well, given how I recently saw him in Succession, which by the way, great show, oh, Ben. Just right. wow. He's legitimately favorite actor. Succession theme is great. Mm, yes, yes. What a theme song. Really nice family comedy for sure. Yeah. <laughs> And, wow, it's been quite a journey. Looks like we've covered all of the Best Picture nominees. But our episode is mandated to be at least about two hours, so we can fill it up. It's time now for the moment we've all been waiting for. Our top five favorite films of 2020. So um, before we uh, get to it, this is how it's going to work. Like, uh, like we start with our fifth. Like, Dane starts with his fifth, then Ben starts with his fifth, and until we get to the fourth, one by one, and so on. So, on to you, Dane. What is your fifth favorite film of 2020? Oh, man. We're starting with number one? Or, or sorry, fifth, sorry. Fifth, I think, right? Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you did it for one, so five. <laughs> this one's really good, too, guys. Don't worry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, this is hard because I honestly... I, I haven't really watched more than five films, so like I'm, I'm basically just going with the five I've seen. Do you guys <laughs> YouTube videos? You uh, <laughs> you know you watch YouTube. Yeah, there's some. There's been some great videos that have come out in 2020, but okay. But I, I do have a fifth. I, I, I would go with um, First Cow as uh, number five um, because I, I I I didn't watch it fully. I got I saw like 90 percent of it. <laughs> I had to go to bed early, but that's just the way it's been for me the last year. I honestly, I feel really bad I haven't. But you just <laughs> no, I really liked First Cow though. But um, I uh, uh, before this, it would have been like my number two or my number three. But yeah, First Cow, it's a beautiful movie. I feel like um, it was one of those films. Like I was excited about it. I think actually in 2019 because. Yeah, I think it came out in 2019, didn't it? It wasn't actually a 2020 release. Well, actually, it came out. Sorry, to, it came out in limited release in March. Of oh, okay. Okay, I'm good. Like, because it was pre. Yeah. Just before the lockdowns and stuff happened. Yeah. Like in New York and LA, it was out in theaters, and then it okay. and then it was re-released in July. Oh, okay. I was just hoping I didn't screw up my list already by naming a 2019 film, but yeah. I would go with First Cow. Um, I, I feel like that's a film that it's, it's, it's a film that could also lead to a lot of similar films. Like, I mean, anytime you have a story about sort of um, sort of like a situation in history where people are sort of in a sense not not in this case because they're, you know, it's, the history in the United States is, is so much longer than what this film encapsulates. So it's, it's not fair to say the first people because the indigenous people were the first people. But the idea of like the first establishment in in this part of the United States is sort of a uncharted territory at the time. And it sort of honoring the animal that helped them, I think that's something that should happen more often because um, sort of animals have been just used by humans and sort of treated like below humans. But I think in the grand scheme of things, as a as a, as a society, not as a society, but as the, the world, our natural world, we need to be sort of balanced with animals. I think that's a really good perspective and sort of the whole idea 
you've probably seen that like eco not ego right it's kind of the cliche thing but like not treating animals just as a product but honoring them in a way i think that's a beautiful beautiful thing and that's i think a film that um should try to be emulated in more ways in the future too because it's a really interesting story and uh but the human the human story within the film is the is the driving force but i think the fact that it does give thanks to the natural world i think that's really cool absolutely yeah take it away ben your fifth favorite film of 2020 um okay i think my number five We referenced it tangentially earlier. Is um, Charlie Kaufman's "I'm Thinking of Ending Things," which was with Jesse Buckley Ooh. and the great Jesse Buckley. Just great Jesse Buckley. Um, based on the novel, um, this was his third. His third movie as director was the novel Lisa and then Snake to New York, which is a, that's a tremendous movie. Dane, you're gonna watch that one day. I've been trying to get you to watch that for, but. He, <laughs> Um, tremendous. Um, I'm ready. I'm ready to be sad after it. I'm ready. Yeah, it's just it's. I don't want to say so much about it because it just encompasses so much in the movie. It's great. Uh, mm-hmm. Jesse Buckley one point is doing a Pauline Kiel, this amazing Pauline Kiel impression, talking about John Cassidy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The influence is good, but it's like I, I wrote this whole thing here. It's like it's like it's like a lot of plot happening in it because it, they're driving to this house, Tony Collette and. Um, Dude, I'm blanking on the dude's name. Uh, David Thulis? Thulis. Yes. Yeah. Thulis, that's right! I have a mug that's Thulis, clueless. Play on words, who gives a shit? Shout out to mugs. Um, there's like drama elements, truly singular, like, you know, Charlie Kaufman's beers, but like, kind of such as Spotless Mind, being John Belfitz, and I think New York adaptation, which I know you've seen recently, Dane. It's kind of, that's kind of the tone, it's like the mind fuckery. But there's an emotional yeah. story attached there. It's not random, it's random to say, Charlie Coffin's telling the story here about uh, relationships, about aging, about life itself. Yes, overall outlook can be a bit bleak and a bit of a downer, but it's also frequently hilarious. There's a lot of moments that really laugh, and um, so many insane moments. There's an amazing bit about uh, there's a Robert Zemeckis bit about a fake trailer, which is really good. And all I'm going to say about the ending, which is the thing about the ending, is if you know the ending to A Beautiful Mind, the Ron Howard movie, very similar. Very similar. If you haven't seen the movie, then watch and watch the ending of A Beautiful Mind back to your mind. It's fun. It's great I've I've gotten to watching the I haven't quite finished it but I've gotten to the first 30 minutes or so of the film but so far it's it's really it's really good this is wow it's uh, surreal I think David Lynch would applaud at this film mm-hmm. I'd say and of course another thing that really sold me was not just the story but the fact that Tony Collette because I loved her in Hereditary and this was a huge yeah. selling point for me as well You're next, John. So tell us. All right. Yeah, this is really hard too, because um, wait, this is just only 2020, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is really hard, but number five uh, goes to um, Uncut Gems. Yeah. That was a really. I really loved Uncut Gems. Um, I loved the whole um, uh, this whole style and the cinematography. I liked how the movie made me uh, very anxious. You could uh, be in uh, Adam Sandler's shoes the whole time. 
wife of a gambler, like gambling problems. I remember when I was watching it, I was um, I was I was actually pretty anxious, like edge of the seat kind of. I was like, oh no, something's bad. Something bad is gonna happen, and like, of course, like doing a life like that. I've seen it before in movies and in real life. It's not gonna end well. But yes, really great soundtrack too, visual style, and really good performance by Adam Sandler. Probably one of my favorite Adam Sandler performances next to um, what is that movie called now? With um, there's a lot of great Adam Sandler performances. PTA, the PTA uh, one. Punch Drunk well, Love. Punch Drunk Love. I think Punch Drunk Love is number one favorite Sandler movie, but this is like number two favorite Sandler movie, Uncut Gems. Yeah, like. Very surreal to see Sandler in a more, you know, more dramatic turn. Dramatic role. Yeah, yeah. Now, now I usually use surreal instead of unusual or strange because it keeps popping up a lot, especially in mm-hmm. chat. Wow. Yeah. But yes, uncut gems, great movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you want to hear deeper thoughts about uncut gems by me, Nick, and Dane, you can go to Sin City, the Sandman episode. We talk at length about Uncut Gems. There's a little plug there. Thanks. Check it out. Thanks for the shout out, Dan. Yep. And on to you, Joe. Your fifth favorite film of 2020. Uh, I didn't watch a lot of movies in 2020. Or they came out in 2020. I watched a ton of movies in 2020. Mm-hmm. Most of them are from pre-1950, but that's beside the point. So for my number five, it's a split between Minari and Sound of Metal. Oh, nothing that I could really say to add on because we've already talked about both of those for a while. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a split between those two. I couldn't really pick one because if I picked Sound of Metal, I'd be sad that I didn't pick Minari, and if I picked Minari, I'd be sad I didn't pick Sound of Metal. Paradox. <laughs> yeah, those are both in five six or six five. Good choices. Good choices, everyone. For my number five, I have to give this one to Tenet by Christopher yes. Nolan. To those who know me very well, it's no secret that Christopher Nolan is my favorite filmmaker ever. And Tenet, it's a very, wow, this is a very so trippy film indeed. Like, something new. Like, it's very, wow, very very complex story the characters are i know some people say it's very uh, too confusing but i think that's the whole point it's a film that you definitely need to watch more than once to truly appreciate which is what i did this week and it's it's i love it like christopher nolan he knows how to add something new to the genre because believe it or not we live in a society where originality is a distant memory <laughs> so uh-huh. <laughs> <clears throat> And Nolan really knows, he really knows how to go beyond the barriers of original cinema by giving us a story that is one part spy thriller, one part science fiction, and one part war. It's fascinating, really. But here's the big question, Tenet. Is this Christopher Nolan's best film? No, but it is definitely Nolan at his most ambitious. And I love it when films are just that, ambitious. Nick, would you say, we were just talking about Uncut Gems, would you say this is Uncut Nolan? <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, well, yeah. 
Like this is, I, I see it more as a spiritual successor to both Inception and Interstellar, because both all films focus on the concept of time, and Tenet is, well, just time, in essence, really. This is, I, it, it has a bit of a like divisive reception, but we just started 2020, and as time passes, Tenet will be regarded as one of the best film, one of the best films of this current decade, I'd say. Nick, you hit your bang on. What I think I've noticed is, uh, since it's been released on home video in December, its reputation has really grown a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not to come, it's an easy, not an easy comparison, but I would compare it to the Michael Mann's Miami Vice, which also got yes. a really shitty reaction when it was released in theaters. <laughs> But it's grown a Like, honestly, like, I've seen people are really, like, sticking up and just, like, you are, Nick, like, saying, like, tenant rules. And it just it seems very Miami Vice to me. Like, it's just, to some people, it's just like, what the hell am I watching? But, <laughs> but it is, but it's just, it's pure, that's pure Michael Mann. This is pure Christopher Nolan. It's, oh, yeah. Definitely. And it's a reputation for the approach. Agreed. Definitely guaranteed. Yeah. And now, number four, your turn, Dane. Okay, so I'll, I'll probably go with uh, Nomadland, number four. Um, that was the second film I watched today, yeah. And uh, it's, a, it's a movie I want to watch again because I, I, I saw it on my laptop. It's kind of, you know, that's, I'd rather watch it on my, um, my TV with the sounds right and everything. So I, I want to return to this maybe the next week, and maybe it'll climb up the ranking if I watch it a second time. But um, throughout, throughout the film, I was like, this could be my number one. This could be my number one. And, uh, and then I watched Minari, and then I just, after thinking about it more, I mean, it was so close. Like, it, it was a really close year, like um, Joe was talking about earlier, how any one of these films, I feel like, could be the, the, the best film of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and a lot of it comes down, for me, my rankings come down to just sort of like the personal... Uh, I don't know, like yeah, more subjective based this list. So yeah. just first impression at number four, but it's it's one of the best films I think I've seen in the that have come out that has come out in the last couple of years. So uh, what can I say that has to be said about it? Um, I just think it's it's really interesting how it embraced just the modern like the modern setting so much, like the fact that you know it's Amazon, like the giant Amazon logo. So, like thrown in there rather than like a fictionalized version of Amazon. Like I feel like it was like intending to make a really big societal critique and, and stand as something people will remember from our time 10, 15 years from now, 20 years from now. And uh, it, it was brave enough to sort of like directly face a lot of like the United States, uh, the U.S.'s woes and issues with their economic system and how they treat sort of how, how life is more the lowing, the lowest of income individuals, right? So I think it was a great film that way. Really uncovered that um, the, what the what the U.S. likes to try to pretend isn't actually there, which is sad, but it's the reality. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's an Amazon wish fulfillment center just in Alberta. So I mean, mm-hmm. in America, uh-huh. And also, no Land, I will point out. I noticed this week it's actually on Disney Plus. Oh, it was on Disney Plus, which was I guess part of their Star thing. 
So don't think it's a new one. This is a Disney movie, but it's part of Sony. Anyway. If you want to see on your TV, you have that service. It's mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Good choice, Dane. Your turn, Ben. All right. And my number four is. Number four. Uh, this is. Hey. Uh, Happy Gilmore. No, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> years. Um. This is my own, I believe it's the only movie I've on my list that's nominated for an Oscar. It's uh, mm-hmm. nominated for Best Director and also, um, I think they call it Best International Feature. Because you can call it Best Foreign Film, but they've changed the name to, I think, Best International Film. It's another round, the Thomas Vinterberg movie. Um, sorry, Matt, Matt Nicholson. Julian Nail, I love this movie. I want to say it like this. If someone were to tell me like, the basic premise of the movie, which is like, uh, there are a bunch of teachers, meds, and a bunch of teachers are like, like, tr- like trying to see if they could teach drunk necessarily, but yeah, kind of a little bit like into the alcohol limit to see if they could do that to like because you know their lives aren't that great right now. If I were to explain that, you'd kind of expect like a bad broad comedy starring like Miles Teller or Jason Bateman. Like the yeah, first you can see like where Todd Phillips make the worst movie after show Todd Phillips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, instead, it's a movie written and directed by Thomas Vanderberg, the very serious Danish filmmaker who's most associated with dark, dark dramas, associate of Lars von Trier, with the Five Movement, uh, him and uh, uh, yeah. the Hunt together last. And this is the sense of which you saw. Anyway, another round, he kind of takes the premise with utmost seriousness. It's not just a bad, broad comedy, it's a drama that's about something. It's certainly comedic to point, yeah. it's a laugh, it's also real takes a broad premise on the surface and makes it incredibly sincere and serious, which is what I love. It also shows like, the real side of binge drinking and alcoholism that you often don't see in films while also kind of celebrating it. So it's not like, uh, not like boozy madness, like a reefer madness thing, like a cocktail. Really, no, especially as Mad's characters have a lot of confidence, it's kind of lovely to see him kind of step out of his shell. And also, um, the final scene, which I'm not going to directly spoil, is like, it's like the best ending Mm-hmm. Any movie this year, like the seven payoff of minutes oh, yeah. brilliantly done, and also to get to a little brief personal thing about, about the movie, personal for Thomas, is that the movie ends with this credit for this is for Ida. Mm-hmm. Ida is uh, Vinterberg's daughter, who oh. was a major performance for the movie, and she's actually going to be in it playing the teenage daughter of Mads, making her acting debut to boot. Oh. At Ida's actual high school, using her actual friends, but she oh. died in a car accident four days into production. What? So oh. four days into production, she's dead. Her, the director's teenage daughter is dead. Who's going to be in it and all that? What? Oz had to stop production. So oh. they went on a production hiatus. They went back into it, and that and the movie movie is like dedicated in her honor. And that's why, in his quote, he sees Ida in every single frame of it. And so it's beyond. And so it's really, and that's why I'm, it's really amazing. Wow. Um, that it's kind of blown up the way it has to get a rare best director nomination, which didn't get it didn't get a best picture nom. That's like the rare times when the, the best director is in nominations. It doesn't get so. Just and I'm just really happy for Thomas, and I think it's really cool. I think it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah, Ben, I saw that one too, and yeah, it's a really great movie. I, I really recommend that one. 
have to give it a look as well. Yeah, thanks for pointing it out. Yeah. And it's your turn, John. All right, number four actually goes to Tenet too. And this is a hot take, but I actually like Tenet way better than Interstellar. Um, I really like Tenet because I um, I like movies where I have to watch it more than once to kind of understand it. Because the first time I saw Tenet, I was really confused. But I kind of like the idea that like Christopher Nolan makes like he makes like these works of like puzzles that you kind of have to decipher for yourself, and you kind of have to be like the detective or you kind of have to like figure it out yourself that's what i that's what i like about like um memento too and i just think the concept for um tenant is really cool too it's like a james bond movie without mm-hmm. all like the bs which is which was that was really cool and really good performances too from um i think it's john david washington that's and right. um, robert pattison like really really good performances and the soundtrack is a amazing electronic soundtrack oh, yeah. too with Tenet mm-hmm. which I thought was really good mm-hmm. and I feel like um the next like maybe like 10-20 years like um Tenet will probably become like a cult like classic kind of like it didn't do so well like when it first came out but I feel like 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 you're saying Ben like with like Miami Vice it'll eventually receive like like the cult status just for the vibe of the movie and yeah. like what it is but yeah number four is Tenet it's like the cool it's like the true like even when sometimes even like even when nolan his films are not exactly like masterpieces or great mm-hmm. we can all agree that the positives always outweigh the negatives and in his mm-hmm. films even when he tra- even when they're not well when they're not considered great the i think we can agree that the whole always make up for the sum of its parts in his films so that's that good choice too john and your turn now joe I am being very original, and my number four is also... Oh, wait, no, Ben, that was your number five. It's... I'm thinking of ending things. Um, it was just... Just so good. There's, what can I say about it? It's so good. Um, it's, it's, like, terrifying sometimes. Like, the washing machine. I don't know why that was... It was just... There's something off the whole time, and... I just like, I love everything about it. Everyone was great in it. Has the best dance number since. Uh, oh my god. Oh wow, yeah, yeah. Out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, think with us describing this movie, Joe, it's like you can describe random scenes, but you have to see it. Like, it sounds yeah. like we're yeah. crazy people. It's like we're, we're describing different movies. Yeah. But this is the same movie. Yeah. And, like, I was. I don't know how, but. The whole first almost hour, or maybe it was half hour, it felt like an hour, but it also felt like 15 minutes of the Uh the opening scene when they're driving. Like, Uh it felt like it took forever, but it also didn't. It's such a strange movie. It's so cool. Yeah, and that scene makes me remind a lot of the before movies, which are Linklater movies, just like a conversation. Right. Which I adore those movies. Yeah. 
good choices so far. Yeah, nice. At my number four is another film we've discussed, which is The Sound of Metal. Like, this film is just... I find no fault in this film. What can I say that hasn't been said? Like, Riz Ahmedler's uh, breathtaking performance. The sound design is top-notch. And I can, if in, if I had to just predict my nominations for it, I or wins in this case, I can see it winning for best sound, or in this case, best actors as well for Riz Ahmed. He really, he really gave his all. He, this was such an amazing performance. I'd say we can all agree on. So, yeah, that's my number four. And now we move on to third place, the bronze medal. So, who do you give the bronze medal to, Dane? Yeah, so I'm going to go with The Father and number three for me. Um, uh, what I really enjoyed about this experience is I had no idea what to expect going into it. Um, essentially, yeah, Ben, you kind of recommended that's the one I should focus on because it didn't seem maybe like, I don't know if anyone else had had seen it. I, well, four of us watched it today, so it was awesome. Uh, um, beforehand? No, I didn't know a single oh, thing about it. That's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> I just turned it on and I yeah. didn't care. I didn't want to know anything about it, so but it was great. The festival experience for you. Yeah, exactly. It, it kind of felt like I was ready for it to be like a comedy. I was like, I was laughing yeah. for the first ten minutes or so because Anthony Hopkins' character, he's actually like he's really funny in the beginning, and he kind of reminded wow. me of my my other grandfather who's still. I, just the sort of um, the the nitter nattering between him and his daughter. It was just I thought it was hilarious in the beginning. I was like, this is going to be. I have no idea where this is going. And then it took such a such a sad and such an emotional turn that it, that's actually what made it more emotional and sad. Because I feel you need that comedy to sort of make you realize it's a real it, it's realistic enough because life is funny. It is sad. It is dark. It is bright all at the same time so that's what I think great emotional films um, do is they also have that comedy there which is here um, but yeah with this film like I said with the Caretaker album um, just being as impactful as as an art form to that album and, and experiencing a, a, a disease that I hope um, none of us ever have to experience and I hope I never have to experience but I know it's something you can't uh you can't control it's inevitable if you're going to experience it you will right that's kind of hard to prevent it so it's something that i think um, more people should um to, uh, i guess we should all be ready for and kind of empathize uh, people empathize with people who have it because it's something that uh, no one expects right and that's how life is for so many people so a film that i think will um, really stand out as, as being a really accurate portrayal of, uh, of of a disease like Alzheimer's or dementia, so great film, and I hope to watch it again in the next few days and get the full experience on my TV. But great film, good choice, man, really good choice. On to you, Ben. Who do you award the bronze medal to for best film of 2020? This one's kind of under the radar, which is crazy to say because you know the mm -hmm. film Oscar movies. This is a movie by the guy this year who's helping produce this year's Oscars, and Steven Soderbergh. Wow. This is Let Them All Talk, starring mm. Meryl Streep, Kenneth Berg, and Diane Weiss. Oh. Um, basically, the short pitch of the movie is Meryl Streep plays Alice, who's a famous author, 
she's winning an award which is being given out in London. She can't fly, which is find out the reasons. So she has to take the Queen Mary too, which is the cruise from New York to London. She brings Susan, Roberta, which is Kenneth Bergen and Roberta, her two longest friends, and Tyler, her nephew along, and also Jim and Chan is in the movie playing her book agent who sneaks onto the cruise as Marilyn Wilson writing the manuscript for her next book. She needs to find out if she's writing a sequel to her biggest success, which is called You Always, You Never, which is being adapted in both movie and miniseries. And it's like, it's it's comedic, and Kenneth Bergen's like crazy funny in it, but it's done in a really realistic way. Uh, it's like, not like a full-on, to my beloved Nancy Myers. It's not a full-on Nancy Myers movie, it's more dramatic voice, but it definitely has that vibe in certain dinner table scenes. Um, for the, how Stonebrew's like a madman, as always, and he used to find, does movies for like, find a challenge. He shot this movie on the actual Queen Mary 2 cruise ship. Like a crew, like on this ship. So it's these actors and everyone else on the cruise. It's like people on the ship. Like just, they're like bystanders. Like, oh, we're in a movie. It's just like, it's just, it's, and like he had like a, like a sober, I think they shot him on a, like a dolly, like flying around the cruise filming it. Like he's an inspiration. The script is actually also only a 50 page outline. Because all the dialogue is improvised, which gives a really fun flavor. Nothing feels overly writerly. There's so many great parts to it. There's like a really funny bit. I actually have a big time mystery thriller novelist named Kelvin Cranz, which is good to me. It's also on the cruise. It's kind of like a Michael Connolly, John Grisham type, who Marilyn's friends adore. Well, she, she's kind of a more highbrow author. She doesn't see the appeal. Look, there's a quote here from Diane Lewis Merrill. He's not like you. Not like you at all. He's a thriller writer. Merrill doesn't understand how he can read him. The prose seems like styrofoam. And Kenneth is like, it's plot driven. Merrill's like, but the plot seems so simple. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. You match the color and the shape and then put it together. And it's a picture completely unrelated to life. Life is a mystery, a true mystery. So. The movie is not like fully frivolous though. The story of it's really amazing and it packs a punch. It doesn't really build itself right away. I'm going to mention the thing about again, Meryl take a cruise ship. The third act, like shit happens and it elevates the movie to like, this is a fun movie. I'm laughing to like, this is great, powerful end. And it's just a really like, CM Celebrate is one of my all time favorite directors. And he's just always trying to find a way to invent himself. And to talk very, very briefly about Oscar ceremony, which he's again helping produce. They're doing a show at Union Station, which I don't know if you know, which is an LA train station. They're not doing it at the Kodak Theater. They want three hours flat as the runtime. They're gonna, they, he's thinking in it like uh, the ceremony be like a movie, again with acts. And like, even if people can't perceive the winners aren't in LA, they're going to have like stuff to tie it to that to make it all thematic in a movie. Like, um, there's some quotes here, but anyway, I'm, so I'm, that's what I'm really excited for the Oscar series itself. I think it might be at least like on a like a technical, like just really, really like a, one of the best ceremonies. But anyway, that's level talk. It's great. It looks like it's over. Nice. Really good choice. Really good choice, Ben. And, that's, and yet another for me that I gotta check out for sure. Like, wow, what have I been doing all this time? <laughs> like, come on. And your turn, John. The bronze medal goes to which film? I'm gonna give the bronze medal to. I really like Minari, honestly. It's a, just a really good, um, simple film to watch. It's very, like, light. Um, 
But we've all seen Minari, right? Mm. Yeah, but, <laughs> not me. Oh. But go for it if you want to say. Okay, I just want to say, like, it's a very, like, the. When you're done watching it, you'll, like, feel, like, good. Like, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice ending. Um, it's, it has a. The ending has, like, great meaning to it. It's not, like, just one of, like, those dramas where, like, everyone dies and then it's like, uh. It's actually got, like, a really good, meaningful ending, and I really like the. I don't know who did the soundtrack, but. I really like soundtracks, and I really like the Minari soundtrack, too. I'll probably download that, and yeah, it's just a really good, simple story, a really good, simple uh, drama that I really liked. So, yeah, Bronze Medal goes to Minari. Really good choice. Another one I gotta check out after we're done recording as well. Yeah, um, it's, um, yeah, good, good movie to end the night with. Awesome. On to you, Joe. What is your third favorite film of 2020? My third place goes to Nomadland. Mm. Because it's really good and there's nothing else we can really say about it. But it's really good. <laughs> and I just, I, I, I really liked it. And it's uh, also the last one on the list that is nominated for an Oscar. Wow. Well, another plot twist to share. That is also my third favorite film of 2020. <laughs> Like, well, but let me get it that way. Like, everything just works. Frances McDormand delivers one of her best performances. The cinematography is beautiful. It's scenery porn at its finest. And really great direction from Chloe Zhao. And I really, this is the film that I really hope it has to win Best Picture. Because it has, it has everything that is perfect. There's literally nothing wrong with it. And this is one of the few occasions where a film that is a slow burn actually works. And I admire it for that. And this is coming from me, as someone who before, like a long time ago, ha didn't appreciate movies with slow burns. But no, that is past me. No, not anymore. And now we move on to second place. What is your second favorite film of 2020, Dane? Uh, so I will go with Minari for my second. Um, yeah, I think, I think it should win the uh, best picture and uh, from an objective point of view and um very close it, it could have been my number one favorite but um what can i say about it that i haven't mentioned before i guess um yeah i, I think it's a film that i think you like i said you could definitely see how this is sort of this is sort of created a new uh i'm not gonna say genre but like it's created, it's created a new idea for what you can do with such a simple story. Like, I, I feel like there's always those films every year that come out that are, are really fresh. Um, and then you see sort of in maybe on an international scale or within Hollywood films that take on that sort of tone and sort of try to do it in a, in a new direction, but, but carry that tone forward. And I feel like Minari's definitely set like a blueprint for something like that. So I feel like it's 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 a pretty original film i i feel like and uh i knew that i knew that about it when i saw the trailer i was like this is going to be different from a lot of films like i i feel like yeah there's some elements of tree of life that i kind of felt or maybe even boyhood um but at the same time it's an entirely new thing so i'm really excited for what is influenced by this film i think there might be a lot to come so that's that's how I know it's a great film. Is when I I feel inspired by I start thinking about oh wow maybe I could 
come up with a story like this set in Canada? What, how, how could we you know, think of some new stories about the immigrant struggle in Canada that would be really interesting? So that's something that, that I, I love about this film. Is it just gives you so many new ideas that uh, are they could be just about um, family histories, and it's, it's going to be fascinating. So really enjoyed it for that reason. It's really great to hear, Dane. And yet, your words keep me. Always, you guys really are having me up for this film. I have. I'm gonna watch it once we're done. Yeah. And your turn, burn, Ben. I'm sorry, Ben. Ben. ben no, sorry, Ben. That is a Freudian slip by you, because my number. Me, you were rehearsing this for weeks. I'm gonna tell you. Is in fact David Burns, American Whoa. Utopian, directed by Spike Lee. Whoa. So, Burn, Burn. Um, <laughs> so I saw the David Burns project American Utopian show in Calgary in May 2018. It is legit the best live show I've ever seen. I was already huge talking heads. David Burns going in this elevated it. After Burn turned the show, we took American Utopian, American Utopian to Broadway, where it gained even deeper acclaim, including Tony's attention. Burn performing on SNL, and um, I was hoping when all this happened, like, because Stop Making Sense is like my the best concert movie ever, which is the great, late, great John Demi, of course, Thomas and Labs, direct. I've seen that like eight, nine times, never gets old. It's just a great. It is a movie. It's a concert movie, but just it tells the movie there. Um. So yeah, Spike Lee ended up directing it, and the thing with the American Utopia show, if you're not familiar with it, everyone is on their feet with these mobile instruments. It's just people on stage, no wires to be found. The lighting and the stage setup is like remarkable. Burns band is so good with people from all over the world representing his band. Uh, the show is about seventy-five percent of what I saw in Calgary the movie itself. The main change is to kind of make it more thematic for Broadway, where Burns has little monologues between the songs, tying into the central theme. Making it more than just a strip concert, it works and fit with kind of the quote-unquote American Utopia theme. Um, the standout part from the live show I saw in this concert movie is a Burns performance of Helia Tomba, which is a Janelle Monet song. It's kind of this rhythmic chant piece where the main refrain is those words from the Helia Tomba, followed by a call to say his or her name about the fallen like Eric Garner say his name so on and so forth they do at least 15 of these in the song with them sadly actually always getting updated when they get the Broadway show they're always updating the names the master stroke of this film and where, where Spike Lee comes in like a motherfucker is when Spike inserts like when he when they David Byrne does like the chant with all that like when he says Eric Garner mm-hmm. it would be the relative of Eric Garner holding his picture and like saying like, you know, like his birth and sadly his death. And just, it would just be this stark, like shot and just, there'd be so many, and just each person gets a piece like that in the middle of a song and it's so moving. Because wives of, or moms of the fallen when necessary. In the case of people like Emmett Till, who are referenced, it's just, it's only the portrait. And also since the show was recorded in February, pretty shut down. Spike also throws in a quick portrait card of a Sally update about George Floyd, Brown Taylor, Amon Aubrey, immediately after the song, in addition to dozens and dozens of names from the screen. So, like, the same is a powerful moment, it's an incredible understatement. The por- this portion of the movie is why I consider American Utopia to be like an all caps movie, and not just a concert film. It has a okay. beginning, middle, and end, and you feel like you've gone on a journey rather than, hey, these are not just cool songs. 
and it's just well done. And I'm so glad he made this movie, this Spike Lee, this thing which lives on HBO and screened at film festivals. And um, uh, yeah, it just it's like a grab the stockman of it and just have in the hand such a talented filmmaker like Spike Lee. I'm just very grateful. It's, it's amazing. Is it nominated for any Oscars? Uh, no, I don't. I think it might be since it premiered. It might be in Emmy's consideration, even though it's this weird, you know, the weird thing about it. Wow. Yeah. Another film for me to see as well. Yes, thank you, Ben. On to you, John. Who does the silver medal go to? For me, the silver medal has to. Um, sorry, no pun intended. The silver medal goes to Sound of Metal for me. <laughs> wow. Um, this is just a really good performance, um, really good uh, character study that um, Riz did. And you can really feel like his pain and emotion uh, with his acting on this one. And I think just like being like a musician too, it kind of like hits home too. Like if I like lose hearing, you kind of like lose your passion almost. And it's like kind of like, what else can you like really do in life? But this is a really good um, tragic character um, story drama that I really like. And I and I do like Anthony Hopkins' um, performance, but I actually kind of hope that um, Riz actually does get the um, best actor, because I feel like he really does deserve it, but we'll have to see. I'm kind of tied between Anthony Hopkins and um, Riz, but yeah, Sound of Metal is um, a really good um, movie, and um, I give that the silver medal. Absolutely. Really excellent oh, choice. Sorry, also, just the, the sound editing. Like, mm. uh, that was a really nice choice. Mm. Yes. The sound is almost like the storyteller in the film. It's mm-hmm. the whole sound design. Yeah, Really, really, really innovative. The, the discomfort. Oh, yeah. Very, very innovative film. Very innovative, well. yeah. Mm. Your turn, Joe. My number two is a movie that... Mm, pretty much no one saw oh um it's it's like pure kino and it's essentially an audiobook oh. with visuals uh called last and first men which is uh it stars tilda swinton oh as the narrator and she's basically it's it's just images, music, and narration. It's 70 minutes long, and it's the directorial debut of the late, great Johan Johansson, who is the composer. Um, yeah, this, this movie's just really interesting. It's really cool. Uh, the photography is amazing. It's in uh, a 166 aspect ratio, so the tiny little black bars on the side and 16 millimeter film. Wow. Um, kind of, it, it's black and white. It's color. It's so cool. So, I don't want to say much about the story because it's almost like an audiobook with visuals and music. So, I'll I'll leave that out. But it's just really cool. It takes place in the future. Oh, humanity's kind of on the edge of extinction. Wow. So like now. It's really, really cool. <laughs> and it's it's called Last and First Men. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I'll check that out. Thank you. And I can see it has a hundred percent rating. Yeah, I, there, I know there's a Blu-ray available with the CD. Okay. Um, but I 
Yeah, I'm not sure where you can watch it right now, and because I watched it. Wow. Perfectly. Wow. Uh... <laughs> On the opposite. Uh, it, was, it was loaned to me by a friend. Nice. Wow. I'll find a way to watch it. Hello. <laughs> and, um... Yeah, I'll be... At Cameo. my... Cameo. At my, um, number two is once the first non-Oscar-nominated film would have to be Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Wow. Oh. Like, let's... Oh, yes! <laughs> Oh, I haven't seen that. Ooh. Davis. Highly recommended. This is and the... we were talking about, sorry, to, we were talking about Anthony Hopkins, best actor. And I was, the thing is, like, we want him to win, but then the leading contender of probably winning is set, like, the late show Boast. Mm. He ended up winning. I mean, who would say anything bad with that? That'd be awesome. Exactly. Yeah, that, that I'm, I'm really counting on that. Like, he could, this could really, this is really his best performance in years like this is also this is Chadwick Boseman's final film portrayal and let's just say he he ends it on a high note and it's just it's really it's a very like Maureen's Black Bottom is uh those who don't know it's about it's Viola Davis stars as well Maureen who is a famous jazz singer and who goes to a studio to record to record for a new song and the whole their entire and Chadwick Boseman stars as one of the players a, a trumpet player whose ambitions to become a musician proved to be a distraction and detrimental to the success of the band it's it's a very it's a very very tough film to watch especially since it deals with very mature topics such as racism class discrimination and how the and you know the white man's burden how basically the white man doesn't care for the black man only as, not as a human being but more as a money maker a money machine basically which is which shows and it takes place during the 20s where the this kind of segregation was and racism was everywhere and it's just it's an amazing film really great acting especially from Chadwick Boseman the cinematography is beautiful production design the costume design everything it really feels like you're being transported back into the 1920s and if you're a huge fan of R&B blues then I then this film will fill you with a lot of nostalgia for sure this is amazing this is a, this is a Netflix movie Mm, that's right. Oh, okay. It's, yeah, I'll have to check that out. Mm, that's right. It, it's really the acting is just top notch. Really, like, and this really great tribute to Chadwick Boseman. And was also this film was produced by none other than Denzel Washington, who is very good friends with Chadwick Boseman. And it's just wow, amazing film. Really, the one that I kept, one film that I kept coming back to time and time again since I first rewatched it. And by the time you're, you start this film, you will all, you will always remember it for sure. So highly recommend it. All right. And with that said, it's time for number one. Your turn, Dane. Who gets the gold medal? Well, for a year with not a lot of laughs and 
just comedy being mm. so needed in the world in a time like we're living in, I, I think I'd have to go with uh, Morat's subsequent movie film mm. as the number one film of 2020. Um, just because I think it will, it will have, a, yeah, I think it will have a lasting impact. But it, I think if you happen to have seen it in 2020, at the time when it came out, I think you'll realize just how important of a film it was. <laughs> and like at a time where it felt like we were at the lowest of lows in the world, politically, with the pandemic, socially, everything, this film just, I mean, it just, it made fun of everything going on and made you realize how ridiculous the world is. And I yeah. think also probably had a bit of an impact. I, would, I, I wouldn't be surprised in some form. I, I would like to think that had an impact on the U.S. elections in some way. I really, I really think it might have. So, I mean, it, it's for a film to be able to do that. That's incredible to actually have. I think some real life uh, impact and um, just a film that I, I pretty much was in tears from the first scene until the end. Uh, I can't like deny that as, as being. It's incredibly impactful if it makes you laugh every single scene uh, comedy or drama if it's something that touches you in that way I think that's a marker of an incredible film so <laughs> I would say Maria Bakalova yes. right yeah. amazing and one of my yes. favorite humans on earth right now <laughs> I was going to was... say that there's two miracles well at least two miracles about this movie first one is her in that to get past some an unknown, like thinking, okay, we need someone like who has Sasha's goal for brokenness in the world. Like that should not work. And that they found someone who is just so, and so that's why I'm so glad she's nominated. But then the other thing, another miracle about it is just the amount of shitty comedy scenes, and, like the fact that they bring yeah. it, and that it is mm-hmm. at minimum equal to the first one. It's like, who would have ever thought? And it just didn't... Yeah, so big shout-out to Jason Waller, the director. Shout-out to uh, the cameo from our our dear Prime Minister. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my um, God. That's going to oh. live on forever, and I'm so glad. <laughs> that's like Canadian Heritage Minutes right there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess they were right. I've read, I heard critical reviews on Borat too, which were mo- were very positive, by the way. But one that really stood out to me was that it's a film that crosses the line twice. He finds the line and he like puts a whole bunch of plastic explosive all over it and blows that shit up. Like, there's no line after his There's no line. <laughs> she yeah. got into the White House and met Don Jr. <laughs> oh, man. Not in the movie, don't worry. The no. one regret, I mean, which is in the world, but I know someone Sasha's big things that wanted to make this movie was there hasn't been, like, a big comedy like this in the theaters where people get together and there's because there's nothing better so he has a huge comedy nerd to go mm-hmm. into a theater watch a big movie and it just like plays like a rock concert and just yeah. like the first like just presented and Sasha had every intention to do that again but sadly but, but the pandemic and I guess the other line is like with the pandemic that the entire narrative of the movie 
change on the fly and just it came so mm-hmm. little bit with that. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how, like, it couldn't have been done in, in another year. Like, it was, if it was yeah. going to happen, it was in 2020. And I know, I know it could have thrown things off. It could have been a disaster, but it was, it was, it was perfect. I'm so glad it happened that way. Given how it's a sequel to Borat, would you consider it to be, you know, does it hold up to the, the original film, do you say? I, I would say definitely, yeah. I think so. Like like Ben said, like it's been a long time since we've seen something like this, and it, it, for a while it didn't seem like it was possible, right? It just yeah. it just doesn't seem for the time, but at the same time, it it, it really is. I mean, yeah, um, it's such a nice surprise too. Like when I heard the news, like that Borat Two is coming out, I was like, what? <laughs> They're actually doing Borat Two? I I found out about it when I was shooting a music video. And oh. all of a sudden, my phone vibrated, and it was like Borat subsequent movie film trailer, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, in the, in the middle of the desert, like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> One of the blessings of 2020. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah, and also got a screenplay on too, which that's the other yeah. thing. It's got, it's got a, that's shout out to those stuff. like. 15 writers who got that yeah his brain trust (laughs) your turn Ben who do you award the gold medal for 2020 it's a movie that's been talked about Uh, Dane saw 90% of it but guess what I saw 100% so not to say Dane maybe when you see 100% of it I know I love Borat but maybe if you see 100% of it this will be your number one whatever it might be it's first cow obviously Um, Uh I'm generally a huge fan of Kelly Reichardt's movies and no one makes them like she does I'm a huge fan of like no plot like slow, deliberate pace, movies often about friendship, like all second, that's my shit. It's all set in Pacific, all shit's movies are set in Pacific Northwest, which I have a big connection to. He's the queen of like, the queen of slow cinema, Kelly Reichardt. And just the first movies I saw of her like Winnie and Lucy, we saw Michelle Williams, which she worked with a lot. Her and the dog, Lobby, then walking around again to his adventures. It's, it's, it's great. Anyway, the first cow of those names say it's about John McGarrow's character, who's a later named Cookie, which I like. Cookie. Oh. He works as a fur trapper in the 1800s in Oregon. He meets King Lou, uh, born in China. Lou made his way to Oregon by way of London and other world capitals. So dreams of opening a hotel in San Francisco. Cookie, by contrast, orphan early. Has endured a life of indentured labor and hard traveling. He is quiet and sensitive, but game with occasionally skeptical audience for his friend's flight of simulation, worldly learning, and homespun philosophy. I just told that list of videos on the New York Times. I did not come up with that bit. Everything else is me. Uh, the movie ends up becoming about their friendship, how they find the titular first cow, how they milk in the dark at night, which is what we saying on Watch and Cookie Milking It. It's like, it really is so sensitive as Luke's above. The cookie talks to the cow and has this real bond with her. It's just so sweet. The milk, milk is always is used for these oily cakes, which they sell. They become a huge hit. It's like, a, it's like, the, it's like the early food truck, the, what they're doing here. Uh, the secret ingredient, of course, being the milk that they stole. 
the Pacific Northwest Oregon thing is so beautiful. The pace is slower than molasses, which is ideal for me. It's a lot of walking, which I also like. I, watch, I like watching other people walking, not me walking. That's nice. Uh, then we going to different places in an area where King Lou has this line where history hasn't gotten here yet, which is just a nice line. And by the end, so Dane, prepare yourself. By the end, you're going to cry. It's so touching, so sad. It's just a simple movie, just told in a real slow way. It's about 1800s America. It's about immigration. It's about the entrepreneur spirit. And above all, it's about that first cow, the first cow in the territory. And it says you'll be emotionally devastated, which that's a, that's a bit of a poster to get people to see. Emotionally devastated. And it's, uh, I had a lot, I was really looking forward to it, as I was saying, I'm a huge fan of Code Records movies. And definitely were lived up to expectations. And yeah, it's great. Really, really excellent choice too, and and yes, and yes, I really, I really enjoyed this film too. Yeah, this film like over time, I've really started to appreciate films that are slow burners, and First Cow is among those films too. Yeah. Really, I love I love stories about friendship and brotherhood as well, and it really captured the even the aspect ratio, everything. It captured the yeah. feel of being Academy ratio exactly. Yeah, which as you know. Zachy Snyder, gave mm-hmm. show in the New York Times saying he loves First Cow, which first off, that's why he's great. He loves First Cow, and that's what helped. That's what helped inspire me to the Snyder cut, the Candy Ranch. Wow. First Cow. Ooh. Nice. Shout out to Zack Snyder. Yes, and yes, and really, First Cow really also captured that tone of the. You know, being in that time period of the 1800s, and also shout out to Eve the cow. Like Eve the cow, she's so yeah. adorable. Shout out to Eve the cow, but more like Eve the shout gave a shout cap shout out to Eve. <laughs> I was gonna yeah, say that, yeah. was, that was the ultimate cameo. One of the highlights of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> receiving, yeah, receiving like, a message band for the, from really awesome. Mm-hmm. Wow, that was cameos. How this... about that uh, Bill Nye? Uh, oh, right. Yeah, he is. I forgot about that. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> His optics so clear. Right? I just totally. Just yeah, that's right. I was like staring off into the distance. Like, nice. like, Bill, 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 Bill. <laughs> and if any, and first, Kyle, wow, this, like you said, Ben, this has to be one of the biggest snubs of this year's Oscars because it has, it has everything really good story, direction, characters, and themes, and yet it didn't receive anything. Shame, just shame. Yeah, it's a, it's a uh, bummer, certainly. I, I believe, um, he talked about So, I'm sorry. It's, it's, it seemed like the forerunner for a while, like earlier in 2020, or mid-2020, because there wasn't a whole lot coming out. And uh, it, seemed, it seemed like it could be up until, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these other releases came up. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a shame. Okay, I was, the only thing I was going to mention because you know Kelly is already at work on a first day basis. Apparently, Kelly Riker on her next movie. She's also doing the twenty four. It's called Showing Up, and she's reuniting with the great John Williams, who she's made multiple movies with. And uh, is there any sort of long line? Um, vibrant and sharply funny portrait of an artist on the verge of a career changing exhibition, and she 
Chaos of Light becomes inspiration for great arts. Okay. Filming in the summertime. Showing up. Let's go. Looks like it's your turn now, John. Who do you award the gold medal for 2020's best films? Alright. This one is really hard, actually. Originally, I thought, um, originally wanted, like, Sound of Metal to get, um, number one. But I actually gotta give number one to The Father. Um, Whoa! Yeah. I don't know, I haven't seen a movie that kind of, like, that movie broke me. Like, it, it actually broke me. I haven't, like, um... It, it really, like, uh, puts you, like, um, in your shoes with someone who's, like, going through that disease, and it's, like, it's pretty scary, too, like, um, and just, like, I think just, like, the, the relation to it, like, having someone in the, my family that has that disease, it's, um, it hits close to home, but, like, I like, to how it kind of, uh, it, it kind of brings the awareness of, like, Alzheimer's too, which I thought was really good to do, but um, Anthony Hopkins, he just like killed it and mm -hmm. I can't really find a single flaw with the film. It, um, it's an emotional one. I probably wouldn't watch it like every day. It's a good watch. And it's yeah, a necessary watch. A necessary watch. Go back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's uh, another one. The thought... Really excellent choices, guys. And it's your turn now, Joe. So mine is another one that has, in my opinion, this is the biggest snub of the decade. Oh. In six categories. It snubbed out Scott Cummings for best editing. It snubbed out Helene Louvart for cinematography. It snubbed out um, Talia Ryder for Best Supporting Actress. It snubbed Sidney Flanagan for Best Lead Actress. It snubbed Eliza Hittman for Best Director. And oh. it snubbed Never Rarely, Sometimes Always for Best Picture. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this movie is a masterpiece. Like, yeah. it is so 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 good you can watch it on crave um it's appropriately underwritten um there's like barely any dialogue um and it is it, it it's one that punches you a few times um yeah. for a lot of reasons i don't want to do the plot per se and i'd recommend maybe not looking up what the plot is before watching it because it's unless you already know because it's yeah. just just watching it go along it's like a it's it's just this journey that is on the one hand it's empowering but it's also really sad yeah, um, yeah. for all sorts of reasons um i don't think i could say anything that would could sell just how good this movie is. Um, it's another really slow burn. Um, yeah, it's it's just it's so good. It's so so good. 
Has anyone seen it? Mm, no. I've heard bits about it, and I know, like, the subject matter of it. Yeah. Just a heavy subject matter. Yeah. I think it also... It I know it's treated delicately, which I appreciate. Yeah, it has... Uh-huh. It has really touchy subject matter yeah. for certain people and yeah. it doesn't tell you how to feel about it it just takes you along on this trip to go get this thing done because it can't be done in this town because people don't like that kind of thing um, yeah and it, it I feel like I, I haven't seen Promising Young Woman, but it touches on a couple of the I things that I know Promising Young Woman has to, say, to say, and I. Uh-huh. It, but it goes about those things in a way that could change minds and could change the way people act without Promising being Young Woman's aggressive. Version, and I know the the slate piece of is about Promising What's that? Sorry. to the HBO series I May Destroy You which also has that subject matter and treats it much, as I assume, similar to how Never Really, was it Never? Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Never Rarely, Sometimes Always does look in a very kind of serious way. Rather yeah. Rather than glib, kind of shitty Tarantino version that does. Yeah. And there's, there's a long take in, I want to say about around an hour in, it's an hour and 40, so it's not a super long movie. There's a long take where the title comes from and that is one of the most gut-wrenching things I've ever seen. And I can't recommend it enough, but it's not fun. <laughs> um, definitely, yeah, definitely what I've It's one that it's it's one that not only will make someone think, but it has the potential to actually inspire change. Wow. Wow. Very deep description, y'all. Wow. Yeah, that's great. Wow. Yeah. It's it's a it's really, really, really good. And mm. it, it's one of my favorite performances of of the year for sure, probably my favorite. Really, really good selections, guys. Really yeah. great. And I guess that just leaves me. So, for my number one, it's a film that actually made it into the theaters before the whole pandemic. A horror film. And one of the biggest snubs of the year, I'd say. This one goes to The Invisible Man oh, by Lee Winnell. Wow, this... This is one of the best, not just the best horror film of 2020, but one of the best of all time, I should say. And as time passes, it will be remembered as one of the best in the horror genre. It's it's a retelling of the, well, the invisible man, but this it feels unique. It's more grounded in realism. It's about a young woman who is being... stalked and tormented by her abusive ex-boyfriend who has done an invisibility suit and is trying to struggle with keeping her sanity like 
this film is terrifying, and I mean in a realistic level, because even if you if you take away all of the invisible elements, the Invisible Man is a story about is about domestic abuse. It's about a young woman who is basically being stalked, tormented, and gaslit by her own boyfriend after she tried to leave him. It's very, it's it's not a very pleasant viewing experience, but it definitely is one for great film study and. And it's also a really great performance by Elizabeth Moss, who you may know her from The Handmaid's Tale. And that's right, yeah. And and really, this is the camera work. The cinematography is just paranoia fuel because the camera it focuses too much on empty empty spaces, like to give the impression that. Where is the invisible man at? It's just, uh, it's paranoia fuel incarnate and really great directing by Lee Winnell, who you may know him as a good friend and collaborator of James Wan, who brought us Saw, Insidious, Aquaman, and The Conjuring movies. Yeah, if you're. Lee Winnell also made Upgrade. That's right. Yeah. Oh. Upgrade is awesome. I gotta see that. Same here. It's like his directorial debut, yeah. But yeah, the the Invisible Man. It's wow. It's a film that I keep coming back to. And if you're looking for new horror films, then look no further, because the Invisible Man will give you all you need to see. And it's and that's one thing. And really, what I hold against the Academy, because there are there are a few exceptions, but overall, the Academy doesn't give that much recognition to horror films. Like, yeah, that is true. Um, like, in con- I was gonna say, in comedy, at least Borat got some attention this year. Yeah, yeah. comedy definitely in general. We're progressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, well, and again, and of course, and we're also making some pretty re- recent progress in horror as well. Given how oh, yeah. no more than a few years ago, Get Out became the first horror film in a few years to receive a Best Picture nod. Like, this is what really makes horror great. It's not just the suspense, but dealing with very realistic themes that could happen in our society as well. Mm-hmm. And for those reasons, given how much I love the horror genre, and given that it's a film that I kept coming back to time and time again, despite its difficult subject matter, that's why The Invisible Band is my number one favorite film of 2020. Mm-hmm. So... Thank you. Like, and, and just to add, I just like how they... They really like reinvented that character too, like the Invisible Man. It's kind of, it's kind of cool how they did that. Cause apparently they're supposed to do the same thing with um, the Wolfman, and then Ryan Gosling's mm-hmm. supposed to play the Wolfman. And apparently, mm-hmm. like the new Wolfman movie is supposed to be. Wolfman? Yeah, but it's gonna be like a like a reimagining. So it'll be like um, apparently it's influenced by like that movie Network, and then also Nightcrawler. What? Wow. Yeah. I'm not gonna take yeah, this we'll... anymore. Right, yes. And. But yeah, I'm invisible. That's man. a mind blowing statement you just gave me, John. I tell you, Wolfman and Network. <laughs> By, with Ryan Gosling as Wolfman. Gosh! Oh my god. I'm hyped. We'll see how it I'm goes. I'm gonna be rolling in bed tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a, yeah. Sorry, were you saying I'm a joke about. No, they. Um, 
they made the the best call you can ever do when adapting something that's already been made into a movie, which is not to just remake the Claude Rains Invisible Man mm-hmm. from 1933, because that movie is perfect as is. Please don't remake it. So I'm so glad that they mm-hmm. kind of had a new way to adapt that H.G. Wells book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or a short story. I forget if it's a full book. I haven't read it, but... Yes. Yeah. Like, like Suspiria in 2018. How That's right. It's more of a, a reinvention. A reinvention, yeah. not a remake. Reimagine, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Good point. So... Looks like what a journey it's been. We've covered all the Best Picture nominees, all our favorite films of 2020. Wow. And in true Oscars fashion, like 2020 has also seen, we've lost so many important many stars, actors and celebrities who've touched our hearts. I'm not gonna go through all of them, but just a few. I'd like us all in memoriam to Share our, share our, pay our respects to some of the greatest actors, actresses, and celebrities who have defined our childhood and lives for years to come. Jessica Campbell, Christopher Plummer, Kirk Douglas, Katherine Johnson, Joel Schumacher, Joseph, Joseph Shabalala, John Howard, Little Richard, Brian Dennehy, Phyllis George, Ken Osmond, Carl Reiner, Ian Holm, Linda Crystal, Hugh Downs, Naya Rivera, Diana Rigg, the King of Wakanda himself, Chadwick Boseman, Toots Hibbert, Tommy DeVito, Mac Davis, Eddie Van Halen, Chuck Yeager, Alex Trebek, most recently Helen McCrory, George Seagal, Jeremy Bullock, Larry King, Earl Simmons, aka DMX, and Sir Sean Connery. Let's. Oh, and Max von Sydow. Max, oh, oh Max right. von Sydow. Yes. So, let's yeah. all just take just a brief, brief moment of silence to honor all of these great celebrities. So, with that said, rest in power, all of you. All of them shall never, they're gone, but will never be forgotten. All their work and accomplishments will be remembered now and for years to come. We salute you. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ben, John, Joe, and all of you for really making it here for this very special episode which by the way i never expected it to top the runtime of our last episode with emmanuel which was three hours long but wow <laughs> you proved us wrong wow yeah we're nearing topping so because soderbergh i'm gonna send you the link this is very specific to this oscar interview because he brings me on oscars he's very adding like he's me three hours flat these oscars three hours flat I think we're close to beating what he is three hours flat for the Oscars with the Sin City. <laughs> yeah. Oscars. Yeah. Yeah. performances, musical performances in between stuff. Oh, yeah. that'd be amazing. Oh, we showed up. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be amazing, yeah. And 
really amazing. I like it's been a pleasure, and it still is hosting this podcast with you, Dane. And can you believe how time flies? We've made it just forty episodes, and thank you, thank you. And of course, let's all all give credit where credit is due. Like on behalf of CMRU.ca, this episode, this pre-Oscar special, wouldn't be possible thanks to the brilliant mind of our good friend and manager. Benjamin Goodman. Thank you so much, Ben, for recommending this episode. Yes, to Don Goodman. Thank you, guys, so much. And the reason why I'm, I keep talking too much is hoping that it fills up the three-hour gap. But oh well, we'll have to make do. So thank you. It's been a pleasure, and it always will be. I, I plan, as well as Dane, to continue this podcast long before we are done with 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 Mount Royal University for even much like 2020. Well, 2020 was a really hard year for all of us. Cinema as to quote the great Steven Spielberg, will always be around, and it's not going away anytime soon, and neither are we. This show will never go away in a minimum because Dane has a never-ending list of movies to watch. <laughs> I, 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 Dane's getting some like uncut gems like anxiety with the American. <laughs> I'm gonna watch this. Yeah, I gave him Punch Drunk Love like three years ago. and done thank you all for making it on our 40th episode special and don't miss out the oscars which come next week live on si- at 6 p.m everywhere very 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 yeah i never heard of the oscars before you get checked <laughs> out right. if, we, if this show is the first time you ever heard of the oscars Send me a DM. Send me. I'm at Grandpa Shampoo. Send me a DM. We can talk about Sin City. This could be an educational show for people. Definitely. Thank you. For cinema lovers. Thank, and thank you all as well for your continuing support in our show and in our everyday lives as well. Until then, this has been Sin City, our 40th episode ever. I'm Nick Manessis. I'm Dave McLean. Thank you, Jonathan Coe, Benjamin Goodman, and John Tominski. Joe Tominski, I was looking at your name on Google. <laughs> I should know. <laughs> I don't know why I said Joe. I was just reading the, the name on your Google, and I immediately knew it was wrong. <laughs> Good night and see you next week, same time as always, here on Sin City, live for CMRU.ca by students for you. Bye guys. Thank you. Peace and love.